All right, and like I said, if this crashes and burns, Rich, we can uh, <laughs> you can cut this whole thing out. Because, um, yeah, I'm going to have to read this chicken scratch here. And like I said, I'm a little nervous. Okay. Whew. Let me take a deep breath here. <sighs> Do you need to, like, picture us naked or something? Because <laughs> I can put the video on. Yeah you, don't need to, right uh, now. yeah, you don't need to envision it. We can uh, perform for you. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. For episode 48... We welcome back to the show our friend Kevin, better known as Buried on Mars, to discuss Platinum Games' modern nostalgia trip action game Transformers Devastation, as well as the bona fide nostalgia trip of Transformers the Movie. We hacked, we slashed, we transformed, and we dared to be stupid in this can't-miss discussion. Buried on Mars can be found on YouTube as well as the Retro Fandango podcast. Go check them out. You can listen to our show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a commendatory review. On Twitter, where RFG Playcast, Rich is the single banana, and I am Mr. Sean Gray. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RF Generation to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Sometimes when your hopes have all been shattered, there's nowhere to turn. You wonder how you keep going. Think of all the things that really matter and the chances you burn. Chick, chick. 
One, two. Okay. Rolling. Good, good, good. Nice. Well, Rich, you're hardwired for the first time. I am. I'm hard and wired. This (laughs) dirt. Great. Way to start it off. Now. What does that mean? (laughs) So this is our dirty little secret. Rich has been recording this show on his freaking Wi-Fi all these years. Oh. (laughs) And uh, I finally told him, like, just buy a damn land cable, will you? (laughs) Oh, that's why the the photo on Twitter was a big, long cable. Land cable. Yeah. Exactly. Ah. 200 feet of blue, stiff goodness. Right into my computer. (laughs) Nice. So uh, I've, I've been the uh, product of ridicule by many of our members. I'm telling you, that's why I'm the content director at RF Generation. I, I have nothing to do with the database. I have nothing to do with any of the IT. So if you need help with that, I can put you in the right direction. But yeah, just content. That's me. Gotcha. Yeah. I had to um, Google what QoS meant. Had no idea. I'm okay I with that. I actually don't know what that means. Yeah, what is it? QoS. I'm not sure quality of service oh yeah so you know all these tech guys you know i'm like please just let me know what size cord i need to get do i need a a four a five or a six and so i'm on chatting with these guys and they just keep going back and forth well it might be your qos i'm like what is that i mean i I had you know to google like what that meant no idea Mm. (laughs) i'm sure there are people out there making fun of me right now and that's okay but it took literally 20 minutes for us to get down to well, if you get a six, it's your best option and it doesn't cost any more. So it took 20 minutes to get that out of these guys. Mm. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> so they were, it sounds like they were trying to troubleshoot the Wi-Fi rather than just telling you if you needed a Cat 5 or a Cat 6 Exactly. Cable. I'm like, guys, it's, it's simple. I, I'm just having a connection problem because I'm on Wi-Fi, you know. But hey, you know what? Been doing it and getting away with it all these years. Show sounded good. So... uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but at least I don't have to be nervous anymore. Like when we're having a conversation and your voice drops out for 10 or 15 <laughs> seconds and I have to kind of guess what you said to respond to it. So, Well, you've done a great job guessing all these years. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell, here we are now. You sound great. And uh, there's a, we have our first guest of the year here on the show tonight and that is uh kevin buried on mars uh say hello kevin hello kevin i knew you were gonna do yeah, that the, the worst uh, joke ever <laughs> that's why you have me on right <laughs> worst slash best it's comforting it's like soul food you know yeah. well kevin's been on the show before but uh why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself what you're up to uh what you do out on the internet well, first, thanks, guys, for having me back. Um, I'm ready to uh, get into the uh, game of the month. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Kevin, a.k.a. Buried on Mars. I co-host uh, a little show kind of uh, tied in with the uh, Cartridge Club uh, website. It's called Retro Fandango, and uh, we're doing weekly shows now. We're doing about an hour uh, a week, maybe an hour and a half, and I do it with my uh, co-host, Ramvox, and we just kind of just talk about what's been going on in our lives and that uh, we started off as a real as a spin-off show of the cartridge club monthly uh, podcast and we were covering you know video game news and now we just we just sit and talk for an hour hour and a half sometimes video games come up but for the most part it's just us complaining about our aches and pains and visiting the doctor and not getting enough sleep all that fun stuff 
And you also have a spinoff, too, of your show that you do once a week, which is, um, well, you don't do it once a week, but you do it, I guess, approximately once a month, right? And that's uh, Retro, is it Film Dango? That's right, yeah. So we still do like to have, like, just do an episode where things are a little more structured once in a while. So, And we, we wanted to talk about movies, and we always talk about movies that, you know, like I say, the like movie that Richard should watch, and he says a movie that I should watch. And that, and So we kind of figured out this way of, like, trying to get us to like force us to watch these movies so we're trying to do once a month but it kind of depends on a guest or, or whatever but once in a while we uh just want to do um a show where i recommend a movie to richard richard recommends a movie to me and then we recommend a movie to the audience and uh you know we watch them and um and we just talk about them and we discuss about them so the last one we did i actually just recorded it yesterday with uh, chris roberts of narc podcast fame and i guess now he's on dollar dorks um, oh, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he just, uh, just the last episode, that was his uh, first time on as a co-host. So that's, cool. that looks like it's going to be a monthly thing. And uh, that's a good get for Derek on Dollar Dorks. Because Chris, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, I, I'm going to give him a plug, at CWR2. He is just a wealth of information about how to buy and sell on eBay, how to uh, go to like thrift stores, what to look for. Uh, yard sales, all that stuff, and uh, that dollar dork show is just about that. It's all about that, and he that's that's a huge get because he he yeah. knows a lot about that stuff. But enough about him. Um, Retro <laughs> film dango is great. So the last, so we had him on, and we um, the last episode we talked about uh, Quentin Tarantino films. The first three he did: um, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and um, uh, Jackie Brown. But, you know, we also do, uh, we got a comedy episode coming up, and in the past we've done sci-fi and that. So not every episode is going to tie in, you know, to be one genre or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so far it's kind of worked out like that, and uh, we've been having fun doing it. And I know this is a sore point for your uh, co-host, Richard. Yes. But uh, when is that Tommy Boy episode Uh, coming out? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um. Now, can you clarify this, please? Because I heard this on your show he doesn't want to watch Tommy Boy. What? Yeah, he's got this these things where he there's just certain. I mean, I I suppose it's like I don't know. Like I'm sure there's like if you're not into musicals, right? And someone's trying to get you okay. to watch The Sound of Music, you know. And he's just not into David Spade. He's got this thing about David Spade and Adam Sandler and a lot of people. But he'll watch garbage on youtube <laughs> like uh these obscure <laughs> um jean-claude van damme movies or um joe piscopo like he'll come up to me and say yeah we want i watched a joe piscopo movie this week and i'm like how could you ignore like i get it like adam sandler's put up a lot of trash lately but you know there's some classic stuff in the 90s like the wedding singer and he just refuses to allow himself to enjoy that stuff but so yeah he's got a he's got this bug about tommy boy and he doesn't want to watch it so well, you definitely, you got to sell it to him, not as a David Spade movie, but as Chris Farley's like masterpiece, basically. I mean, that's a must-see movie. I, I don't care if you don't like David Spade, like you must force him to watch this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, we forced him to watch The Wedding Singer and all it does is it puts his back up and he gets angry and he just finds reasons not to like the movie. Like we, we uh, did The Wedding Singer. And to me, that's a light, fun, funny movie. I really enjoy it. My wife and I enjoy it. It's in my top 10 just for what it means to me. And, you know, it was one of the movies that my wife and I first saw when we were first together. 
And um, when we did the episode, he was analyzing the uh, mental stability of Drew Barrymore's character, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you don't have to go this far and this deep into it. She's just, you know, she's a confused young woman. But yeah, I'm working on putting together a poll. I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but we've recorded like a couple episodes because Easter's coming up and all that. So within the next few weeks, uh, there's going to be a poll on uh, Twitter. It's going to be on my uh, Twitter account at buried underscore on underscore Mars. And uh, we're picking four comedy movies. So you narrowed it down to four comedy movies and uh, the people are going to pick which one uh, Richard should watch. And Tommy boy is on the list. Um, so if you want him to watch it, you know, go ahead and vote for it. But I, I have a feeling that's the kind of reaction you're going to get is like the one we got from the wedding singer. Yeah. You know, that's fair. I mean, that's the way I feel about all these Marvel movies that everybody watches. Like, there you go. See, and I, I, I love those Marvel movies. Like, I don't know. I, I find them a blast. I find them terrific, but yeah, to try to force someone to watch it, you know? Yeah. Maybe you're right. And maybe he's right. He's, he's entitled to his own opinion, but I heard you guys talking about the poll on your show, and I have to look and uh, vote for I, Tommy definitely Boy. Definitely cast a vote. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man, bees. <laughs> well, it's up against. Um, let me see if I can remember. What's it? It's up against my cousin Vinny, mm. Blues Brothers, and dang it, what was the last one? It wasn't Stripes. It was Caddyshack. No, Caddyshack surprisingly did not get in there. Wow. I'm blanking on the other one. Oh, Groundhog Day was the other one. Oh, okay. So, would you recommend Tommy Boy over Blues Brothers, Groundhog Day, and My Cousin Vinny? Hmm. I think Groundhog Day is overrated. Really? To be quite honest. Oh. Man. Yeah. Yeah, Blues Brothers. It, yeah. It's hard to top Blues Brothers, to be uh, honest. I don't like Blues Brothers at all. Oh, man. Wow. I don't at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is, man. And. You know, I mean, I'm doing that state film thing, and I got a lot of crap for that when I did uh, Illinois. So, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. What did you know. choose? What What was, uh, what oh, beat out Bruce man. You're talking about uh, drawing a blank. I'm going to have to look that uh, up. Let me come okay. back to that. So, that's going to be on when we post Retro Film Dangle number six. That's, that's where we're going to post the poll. Because, you know, I don't want to spoil, like, what happens in the episode when I reveal to Richard what movies won. Uh, his reaction <laughs> okay. to Tommy Boy winning was was something else. <laughs> or getting in there, getting a vote in there, you know. So it hasn't won yet. It's only one of four movies, you know. Right, right. All right. Illinois was John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, um, yeah, if you're a slasher movie fan, I could see that would be how that would be tough to not yeah. pick that one. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about tonight, so... If we could just move right along, Rich, you have some actual site announcements for RF Generation. You want to take us into that? Sure. I just want to take a moment just to talk about some new site leadership that we got going on at RF Generation. Myself, Duke Togo, and Bickman2K. I know a lot of you know Duke from CollectorCast, and Bickman has been a longtime member of RF Generation and has always helped out on the technical side. Most recently, within the last month or so, the three of us have kind of taken the reins at the site. I've always done the blog posting and the stuff with the front page, so my role hasn't changed very significantly from what it was, except more in touch with what's going on with the site as a whole and in making those decisions. So, um, yeah, it's going to be some fun times at RF Generation. 
a lot of new things going on, and uh, we're really looking to push this thing forward into the future. One of the uh, things we're looking at right now is uh, an iOS app for collectors so that people can check their collections on the go, uh, make sure that they don't have more than one of a certain item, don't double up their collection, or you can check your wish list on the go, uh, which is a nice feature. We've had this app for Android for probably two to three years, I would say, and people that use it have really enjoyed it, but there has been a huge cry for an iOS app. So we're in the midst of looking for someone to develop that. So anybody out there, if you know someone that's interested in it, it is going to be paid. We are looking for estimates right now to do that. So I just wanted to plug that really quick. And then the um, donation drive, we just finished that up in February. Our goal was to raise $1,500, which is typically our yearly goal to help cover server costs. And I'm happy to say that even after the donation drive ended, we had a few other people donate and we raised approximately $1,940. So uh, congratulations, guys. Really appreciate everyone who donated. Kevin was a donor this year. Thank you very much, Kevin. We appreciate yeah, it. No problem. It's a good app. I use it all the time. So had no problems uh, uh, giving a couple of bucks your way. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. But uh, I want to turn it over to you, Kevin, real quick and uh, talk about your fundraiser. We had mentioned it on the show, so uh, I wanted to give you a moment to talk about that and the results that you had. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks uh, so much, guys, for um, you know giving the shout out on the, on the show. You guys had some wonderful things to say about me, too. I wish all of them were true. Um, but, we do, uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, we, that was last February. Uh, but yeah, I did um, a charity stream uh, on a weekend. Uh, it was myself and a bunch of uh, other uh, members of the Cartridge Club got together, and we streamed for 36 hours, I think it was. It was a charity stream in honor of uh, my father, who had passed away in October, and he had um, a heart condition, and he died of a, of a stroke, and all that is connected, um, you know, your arteries and all that. And so uh, I picked this um, Heart Research Institute they do a lot of research for uh, medications and um, how to uh, eliminate blood clots, how to eliminate uh, plaque in the arteries, all that uh, stuff. And I, what I like about them is all the money goes towards research. There's no campaigns uh, for awareness or anything like that. And awareness is good and everything, but I, I like you know the stuff going towards the scientists who are actually there trying to uh, figure stuff out and trying to uh, prolong people's lives. My father actually had a couple of heart attacks in the 90s, and he was given an, an additional 20 years on his life through uh, the medication that he was uh, taking. And it was, you know, medication that places like the Heart Research Institute had discovered. So over that weekend, my initial amount to uh, raise, or my goal, I guess, was uh, $640. We did it on the weekend before what would have been his 64th birthday, so I thought 640 is a nice number. And I thought uh, we would, um, you know, sometime on the Sunday, you know, maybe 30 hours in or whatever, we would reach our goal. And we reached our goal within an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was incredible. I could not believe by the time I had signed off, I did the first three hours, uh, that we were way past our goal. Um, so I doubled it and we, we cleared that pretty easily. And then I got greedy and I tripled it and we didn't quite make uh, three times the amount. 
But uh, we made it was a, a nice American number. We made uh, one thousand seven hundred and seventy six dollars, seventeen seventy six. <laughs> nice. um, Very nice, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thanks. And uh, you know, it was just an amazing time. It was amazing, just how we all had fun uh, doing mm-hmm. the stream. We I had people who stream all the time. People who were doing it the first time. People who came up with like some really unique concepts that I think they're going to take and do future videos with, and that it was a blast. And um, I'm hoping to do uh, more. You know, I'm hoping it's something that we get together and do a few times a year because it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I logged on and I knew Sean, you logged on for a little while as well. And uh, several of our guys from uh, RF Generation, Collector Cast guys, Bill and Chris, and I know Adam Bickman mm-hmm. logged on as well. It was such a good time that immediately, you know, I'm texting Adam and uh, Duke and I'm just like, hey, guys, we got to try something like this. I mean, like during our fundraiser, maybe next year to have a weekend of everyone on the site getting together and doing a Twitch stream to try to build up money and still have our full month thing. But maybe at least one of the weekends during that time, we could kind of come together as a site and it would be a lot of fun. And uh, man, if I didn't have a family and if I could have gotten rid of them, I would have <laughs> stayed on the whole time. It was so much fun just conversing back and forth with everybody, uh, watching Musty play Dark Souls for the first time, Yeah. Um, watching uh, Retro Nonsense do his run through Haunted House on the 2600. I got to watch that. That was incredible. Uh, and him finding that Easter egg. I really, really enjoyed everyone's contribution from that weekend. And I've, I've checked out the video since because you guys put them up on YouTube. Is that correct? Uh, they're still sitting on a uh, Twitch, and Twitch, I need okay. I need to take them off of there and put them on YouTube because Twitch is going to delete them in thirty days or something like that. Mm. So I need to to move on that. But some people have downloaded it already, and I've been told it's between sixty and eighty gigs. But I'm going to post them on uh, uh, YouTube at some point so they're preserved. Um, but yeah, I could not uh, tear myself away. I did the first three hours and the last three hours, and everything in between, other than the t- time that I had to sleep. I watched everything. I never really do that. I never really uh-huh. watch other people play video games. I don't really watch Twitch that much. If I do, it might be for a throw it on in the background for 30 minutes or whatever. Um, this was more of a of a hangout, you know, just with people in the chat, um, you know, just talking back and forth and talking about whatever, you know. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It felt like I was hanging out with a bunch of friends. It felt like a big slumber party, you know, like when you were yeah. a kid, you'd go like to someone's house and you'd have a big slumber party for someone's birthday and you would like break out the Nintendo and all of you would take turns playing and talking about the games and sharing secrets and things like that. I mean, that's as close as we're going to get in this age to something like that, it feels like, unless you, you know, you have some neighbors or close friends by that like to come over and couch co-op with you. So it was awesome. It was a lot of fun, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I look forward to doing another one. I don't know when. I myself might not only like keep it to a year, but the Cartridge Club might do another one in the summer. They also did a fundraiser before Christmas. I couldn't hang around too long for that one um, because that mm-hmm. was a really busy weekend for me. But, you know, it was just a lot of fun. That's, that's all I can say. It was good times. Yeah. And speaking of that, we've uh, actually with the new site leadership, we've uh, started a Twitch channel, which we have a few guys that are testing out right now. And so RF Generation is going to have its own Twitch channel for people to come on and watch and for members also to sign up for, you know, schedule and actually play around on it. So once we get the guidelines and everything in place, that's going to be something in action. And hopefully we can bring some attention to the site with that as well. 
if you want some advice and pointers to talk to me after the show, because there's a few things when you have multiple users using one Twitch channel that you need to be aware of. I'll definitely take you up on that. All right. <laughs> All right. So getting back to film, we were talking about Retro Film Dango. wanted to mention something I've been doing on Twitter and on Instagram and even on Facebook. I heard about someone doing this best film set in each state idea and kind of looked over a few people's lists. And I'm kind of like, well, I agree with some of this, some of it I don't agree with. It's like, well, why not do something kind of fun on social media with this? And I'll tell you, the reception to this has been outstanding from relatives to real life friends and then, you know, friends on social media. The response has kind of been like, we're really enjoying following this because so much bad stuff's been going on in the world, especially the last few months. Mm. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of given people sort of a break from all the arguing that's going back and forth on social media, which, um, I'm really glad to hear that, and it's something that's been, you know, a lot of fun for me. I didn't think about that when I started it, obviously. It's just something I kind of wanted to do, but at this point, I may be finished by the time the show comes out, but I think I'm on state number 29. I've been going in alphabetical order and uh, just posting one per day of what I think is the best film set in each state. Um, I did Nevada the other day, and uh, I picked Tremors, which I think, Kevin, I think you had a little response to that. You're kind of a fan, or that was Richard, actually, that had Yeah, the Richard's the huge <laughs> fan. I'm a fairly big fan, too. That's a Fandango movie, for sure. And, and that's a good a choice. I got a little flack. <laughs> From who? For what? What should have? Well, that's the thing. And that was my response, obviously, was, well, if you don't think this was a good pick, you know, let me know what you would have put here. And that's kind of the beauty of it is that I'm not saying, you know, my pick is the end all be all. Obviously, I'm no movie critic or expert. These are just my favorites. But part of this process is finding new films and people saying, oh, well, if you haven't seen this, you need to check this out. And so that's been the fun of it for me. And, you know, my wife and I get to watch a lot of movies because I'll be like, oh, well, we got to watch this. I know we were like struggling to watch Shape of Water before I did my Maryland pick and it came in the mail on release day. I'd gotten it from Amazon and we had to watch it that night because my Maryland pick was the very next day. And so I didn't end up picking it, but it was kind of a mad scramble to watch some of these films. And uh, it's been really fun. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, been fun to follow. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's quite a thing. I'm a big fan of these kind of micro-blogging projects that come out slowly like this. And uh, I'm looking forward to, obviously, uh, your picks for New Jersey and Texas. Oh, yeah. New Jersey's right around the bend. I've had a lot of interest in that. I know uh, Ramvox is uh, originally from New Jersey area, and so he's really excited about that pick. I think you guys are going to be pleased with that one, though. I'm not going to tell you what it is, obviously, but... Uh, I think you'll like it quite a bit. I think I know what it's going to be. There's something that's ah, sticking in my head. Okay. Major, big time. And I know it's something that you're a fan of, but I, I won't spoil it. Maybe okay. I could take a guess off the air. Yeah, we'll do that. So we're going to do concert talk again, Rich, but this is all you. I haven't been out in the world lately, but uh, you, you finally went to that English Beat concert. I did listen to some of their music and I... It was one of those things where it's like, oh, it's these guys. Like, I am yeah. actually familiar with them. So, how was that show? Uh, well, it was cool. Um, it's a very sort of reggae vibe. And the music was utterly fantastic. I did overall enjoy myself. 
But I got to say, <laughs> it's probably one of the worst shows I've ever been to. And I'm going to let you guys know why. And you'll probably sort of agree with me being the older, more curmudgeonly fans <laughs> of music. <laughs> but um, the biggest mistake we made is we didn't pay attention and didn't realize that the show was on St. Patrick's Day. Ooh. So obviously everyone had been drinking all day. So that always creates kind of a, a bad vibe. You know, when you go to a show and people are drinking heavily, which was not something my wife and I expected into going into this show. And of course, it's a reggae show that's fun and people are dancing around. It's all about having fun. But there are a lot of people that don't really know what the words, quote unquote, general admission mean. For people like us, we know that means get your ass there early so you can get to the front, right? And so there's a lot of people, especially after imbibing quite a bit, who like to push their way through you and go up to the front of the stage when you've been pleasantly standing there for the entire <laughs> show. If you go to a general admission show and it's a standing show, you're going to encounter this. It's okay for a bit, but I mean, there were people like pushing their way up. There were people yelling at the band, you suck. People lighting up cigarettes in the middle of the show. It was obnoxious. It was rude. And it was that kind of feeling where I just felt like so uncomfortable and I was so worried about what was going on around me and having to actually confront a few people trying to get in front of myself and my wife and block our view that it made for a poor, poor experience where this band was all about having a good time and fun and dancing. And it was a real shame, you know, have you guys ever had any of these types of experiences? It's totally something that happens to me all the time to the point where I don't go to as many shows and the mm -hmm. whole, everything you just said, the pushing forward, the moshing, the smoking. I mean, the camera uh, phones. Oh my gosh. Don't get me started. The mm -hmm. phones, but it's funny because I've gone to shows. Okay. So there's this band called Joyce Manor that I like a lot, but there are like a bunch of 20 something punk rockers and they're a pop punk band. So when we went, I was in the mosh pit. I got hurt. My leg was screwed up for a little while, but I, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah. We saw another band called Tiger's Jaw, and they're almost in the same vein, but like way mellower. But the crowd, it was it must have been the same 150 kids just going ape shit. And it's like, dudes, just dance, but like you're killing each other. Yeah, yeah. It's like a joke also now. I don't understand why you would pay eight or nine bucks for a beer just to throw it into the crowd like full beers so it's like a joke now it's like oh when we go see uh kishibashi in a church maybe this time we won't get a beer thrown at us you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so dude you're speaking my language and i'm sorry you had such a lousy time but it's made me like way more discriminating in in what shows i will pay money to go see uh, yeah. based on the acts and even then it's hard to judge yeah um my wife sarah won't let me even buy tickets uh general admission anymore let alone floor seats because she's a little shorter and everyone stands up and no one sits down right um and even on the floor uh the last few concerts i went to people didn't respect you know where the seats are or anything like that uh, they were piling up in like especially towards the end of the show they pile up in the yeah. um you know the laneways or aisleways or whatever, and they're all charging up to the to the stage to try to try to get closer to the band. Actually, I'm going to see a concert in a couple of months with a buddy of mine, Bill from STC Pod. Oh that's yeah, a, that's a big uh, spoiler because uh, there's somebody else out there in our uh, 
sanctum that doesn't know about this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, we were talking like, hey, do you want to sit, you know, you want floor seats, whatever. I said, I want a seat, like a real seat, a stadium seat, you know. So we just got as close as we could, but you're, you know, you're not on the floor or anything like that. I'll stand up for for the concert or whatever, but, you know, I want my spot, you know. (laughs) You know what I mean? I want my space. I don't want to be pushed around. And there's like uh, casinos around here, too, that uh, do uh, shows. And they put them on for really cheap. Like I've seen Billy Idol... Uh, ZZ Top, and um, the crowds there are, are really respectful. You know, like they all they sit in their seats, and you know we move around and that. Um, you know, people um, are there most for the most part to gamble, and they're you know comp tickets to see the show. So they a lot of them let their kids go or whatever. But it's great for us because we're old and curmudgeons, and yeah, we don't want. Well, I'm old. Sarah's young, but uh, she, you know she <laughs> she understands that I need uh, I need my space and I need. Uh, you know, respect from the other people. And when we went to see ZZ Top at this casino, there were like hardcore bikers there, but they were all like really well behaved. You know, like they had the, you know, the jean jackets with the the right uh, sign on them and were wearing the right colors and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, these are like, these are hardcore bikers, but they were there to, to watch the show. They were not there for any bullshit. So you mind me asking who you guys are going to go see? Um, I can bleep it out if I need to. Um... Yeah, well, it's not it's not that much of a seat. Well, eh, okay. Well, we're gonna go see um, Jack White. Um, okay. Yeah. So you know, Bill and I are big fans. His latest album's not that great, but uh, the you know the older stuff uh, we're we're fans of. And yeah, we'll see what kind of reaction we get from that other guy. <laughs> now, I, I, <laughs> I gotta ask, since you uh, you're going to see Jack White, did you ever listen to the album that he did with Loretta Lynn? Yes. The country singer? Yep. Oh, it's fantastic. Yep. Sean, have you ever listened to that one? I think so. I went through a huge White Stripes phase. It was a very long time ago, though. Yeah. Well, if you haven't checked out that Loretta Lynn album that he actually produced for her, it's fantastic. He wrote a lot of the stuff for her, and she she's incredible. Anyway, I love her stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah, just to kind of go back to the show, I tried to think about it like in terms of, am I just getting old and just angry at people or... You know what's happening here, but I looked at the age of the crowd, and I was probably one of the younger people at the show, actually. And so it was a lot of adults acting and behaving in this way. So I'm just going to chalk this up to St. Patrick's Day and people just drinking too much. But I have found that in going to more and more shows, and especially depending on which show it is, I mean, Kishibashi was fantastic, didn't have any problems like that, and it was general admission, but. For the most part, a lot of general admission shows, people just don't know how to act. You really question people's ethics uh, when you go to these shows. You kind of see the the side of humanity that you, you really don't care for sometimes when you go. So I think I'm going to probably try to stick with more seated shows unless it's somebody that I really, really want to see. And uh, speaking of seated shows, my good friend and I in town just purchased tickets to go see Bone Thugs in Harmony. So I'm pretty pumped about that show. <laughs> I'm not sure who they That's are. That's pretty awesome. Who, who are those guys? Crossroads was probably their biggest song. I don't know if you remember that one or not, yeah, but no. it's a uh, it's a rap group from I want to say like the early '90s, late '80s, maybe. Sean, is that right? Oh yeah, that was they were around when I was in middle school. So yeah, that would have been early mid '90s. Yeah. So um, it's it's a good show. I haven't been to a rap show in a long time. So. Uh, I'm really pumped about that. 
should be a great time. I'll have to report back on that because it is actually in April. So it's coming up very soon. All right. So I have this thing. I had this idea and I'll bounce it off you guys. And if we could either do it or you can edit it out, Rich. But, you know, on the show, sometimes we talk about movies and sometimes we talk about books and current events. And it just so happens that I read a book, I saw a film and there was a current event that kind of like eerily all tied into each other. And it made me think, and I'm even getting nervous thinking about it, but it made me think of this weird like confluence of events as I was witnessing these things in my life. So what I did was I wrote up a little monologue, if you will. And uh, if, if you guys wouldn't mind indulging me, it'll take me about two or three minutes to read. And then I'll explain like what it is and where it came from. Is that cool? Sure. I'm listening. From December 1884 to December 1885, an unknown assailant brutally murdered and mutilated eight people in Austin, Texas, including 11-year-old Mary Ramey with an axe. Though his early victims were black servant women, later murders of wealthy white women plunged the up-and-coming city into a state of panic and a constant terror gripped the populace. The servant girl Annihilator, as he was called by the author O. Henry, was loosely linked with the Jack the Ripper case, but was ultimately never found. On August 1st, 1966, from about a quarter till noon to half past 1 p.m., Charles Whitman, a former Marine sniper, took aim with various firearms from the observation deck of the main building of the Tower of the University of Texas, killing 14 people and injuring 31 others. Claire Wilson was the first shot. She survived, but her unborn child and her boyfriend did not. Wilson survived thanks to the heroic actions of Rita Star Pattern, who laid down next to Wilson and kept her talking for about an hour's time, and James Love and John Fox, who ran out onto the plaza and carried Wilson to safety. Whitman was eventually shot dead himself by police officers Houston McCoy and Ramiro Martinez. On March 2, 2018, Anthony Stephan House was killed when a package exploded on the front porch of his house in North Austin. At the time, the explosion was regarded as an isolated incident. On March 12, 17-year-old Draylen Mason was killed when he opened a box on his porch in East Austin and it exploded. After three more blasts, including one triggered by a tripwire, SWAT teams pursued a suspect on Interstate 35 in the northern suburb of Round Rock when, early on the morning of March 21st, Mark Condit ended his reign of terror by blowing himself up inside his car. So those three events, one is portrayed in a book that I read called The Midnight Assassin, which is believed to be one of the first recorded serial murder cases in the United States uh, at the turn of the century. The second was, of course, Charles Whitman. It was one of the first mass shootings in uh, United States history from the tower at UT. And that was because I watched this documentary film called Tower. It's on Netflix. 
it's a really, really neat movie. They use animation kind of in the style of Waking Life or a Scanner Darkly, if you've seen those, uh, kind of animating over footage to make it more stylized. And of course, the third scenario is the current events that have been happening in Austin that just kind of came to a head this past week. And that has just been a kind of a crazy nightmare. So I... <laughs> So, I mean, I appreciate you guys letting me do that. Uh, I just really had this all like in my head. I don't know. It's just been weird. And there's been like crazy emotions going on in my head and thinking about all these events that have taken place and all the carnage. And obviously my heart goes out to everybody who has been killed or or their families destroyed by these people. And I don't know what else to say except for... I would love for people to watch Tower and read The Midnight Assassin. It's a really cool book. And there are a lot of things going on in this world. And it's crazy to be in a situation where you have to worry about the fact that there was an explosion at the Goodwill that you shop at. And then there's helicopters flying over your house. And you come to find out that the bomber was using the FedEx store at a shopping center that's in your neighborhood, which, you know, um, is what was going on last weekend, basically. Uh, even Rich, I sent you a, a news story that there was a susp- yeah. suspicious package found at a FedEx depot, which was right across the street from where I work. I work at a warehouse in a kind of industrialized area. And the FedEx distribution center is literally right across the street. And uh, they had the whole road shut down. And luckily, there was no explosion at that time. But yeah, it's a crazy, crazy world. And uh, in Tower, in this write-up that I did, I mentioned Claire Wilson. The movie focuses pretty heavy on her. She, She was the first person shot. But there were news crews on the scene. And there's this five or six second piece of footage of the two men who ran out under fire and lifted her up and ran with her to safety. And the whole thing is just so precarious and dangerous and the unbelievable heroism that people have. And and that's just one example that, that there was so many, there was so much carnage and danger and people doing heroic things but there's a loop in my mind that will be there forever of these two men just you know lifting her to safety but anyway like austin who'd who'd have thought (laughs) first serial murder first mass murder now a package bomber i don't know thank you for listening to that it must be a a lot to take in especially with these three things kind of tying in with you kind of at the same time you know i mean and I didn't do it on purpose. I know. The, it's just a, it's book, a coincidence. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the the book came to me when it was published. Somebody told me about it. And it was the, the book is actually sold based on the whole Jack the Ripper link. But when you read the book, even the author says, like, it's there's nothing to it. Like, it was more a selling point to the book. So I had had that book on my radar for a long time. It came out early last year. So it was just such a weird coincidence that I read that book decided to watch that movie that I'd been wanting to watch to see and uh yeah then all this stuff starts happening in real life very crazy and sad and you know again I I just feel bad for everyone involved I I, I don't know what else to say yeah definitely hearts go out to those victims um and their families 
definitely was thinking about you during that time and when all that stuff was going on, man. It's uh it's a tough thing to go through and I've you know, I experienced the um uh the DC sniper stuff when I was in college and I I was sort of close to the Virginia line but nowhere close to, you know, that area, but uh the the crazy thing is that my wife and I had just been up there the week before. We went to a David Bowie concert and um, we had just gotten gas at a gas station and uh, came back. And then on the news, like a week later, someone had been shot at that gas station that we had stopped to get gas at. And wow. it's just it's such an unsettling feeling. And it doesn't compare to what you've been through being that close to it. But uh, I'm sure it was very cathartic for you to, to get that out. And so I appreciate you sharing that with us. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I read these to my wife and she said, do people who listen to your video game podcast want to hear that stuff? And I said, <laughs> yes, they do. We are not afraid to go into heavy topics on our show. <laughs> so now we talk uh, about Transformers or <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's different when it hits you close to home. You know, it, yeah. it just takes on a whole different meaning, a whole different perspective. You know, it's one thing to see things on TV and think, well, that happens over there. It doesn't happen here. But when it does, it makes you pay attention. Yeah. Oh, man. It's I mean, it was so real. I mean, my wife orders a lot of makeup online and I get I, mm. I still do get packages from time to time. And I I work in a warehouse. I, I actually run a shipping department. So it was like we had to have these emergency meetings about shipping and accepting packages and all. It's man. Yeah. So. That's the least of anything that anybody, you know what I mean? Like people got killed. So I'm just, I'm just talking to my ass, but I mean, it's like, it was scary. That's all I'm trying to say, I guess. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's lighten it up a little here. <laughs> some video game news or rich uh you wanted to kind of solicit the 50th episode idea here again and and we've gotten some submissions and oh, we'll yes, see we if did. they make the cut uh, <laughs> uh yeah if you listen to our last show we've been talking about our 50th episode coming up this is actually episode 48 so we're only two away. So we're trying to put this bug in people's ear. Kevin, we definitely expect something from you, man. You got to send us some sort of uh, audio roast. Um, anything can be, you know, just a few minutes long. It'd be great. 
if you're on a roll and it's outstanding, just just keep it going. We'll uh, we'll pop it in <laughs> on the show. Um, don't worry about your language or anything like that. We can bleep all that out. And honestly, the bleeps kind of make it funny sometimes, and it's just more work for me. So who doesn't want to give me more work as a part of their roast, right? That's yeah. I heard you uh, plug this on your last show. Um, so I think Richard and I are cooking up something. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have that ready for you in time. We have a few months, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. A few months. I'll uh, send out a final reminder, you know, a few weeks while I'm editing or so, or when we finish our 50th episode, so people can send those in. Cool. Cool. Now, Rich, you, you went ahead and sold your Sega Master System Sonic, I see here on the notes. <laughs> no, I didn't, but my <laughs> I didn't, but man, my wife is wanting me to sell this thing so badly now. <laughs> Uh, so for those who don't know, there was a Sega Master System Sonic that just sold on eBay for thirteen hundred and twenty-five dollars. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and to clarify, in case you didn't hear last week or last month, this is the North American version of the game, which is the same thing as the European and Brazilian version of the game. It just has a UPC sticker on the back of it. And for those who missed it, Rich acquired a copy of this game last month, just kind of randomly. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? This is this is not a game that appears online too often. And then, you know, right after you grabbed yours, somebody put one up and it sold for a pretty high price. Seeing one it's sold for, I think it's really neat, but I don't, I, I don't know. I don't get like overbearingly excited. I guess for me, it makes my find more exciting, you know, to me. And it just makes that portion of it seem cooler, but I don't really think about the game in a monetary way about like, what could I sell it for now? Because I mean, honestly, it's probably a great time for me to sell it if I wanted to. This would be kind of the height to sell it at before price starts to plummet, which it inevitably is going to do. A guy named Chris Kohler, who is the editor-in-chief over at Kotaku, posted something on Twitter right after that sold. And this is something that he and Pat Conti on the Not So Common podcast, which Pat runs, something they discussed because this was a game that was actually on eBay when they were doing their podcast. And they happened to mention it. Toward the end of it, Sean, I don't remember. I think I told you it was like an hour and 33 minutes in or something like that around that That's area right. of the podcast. If you want to, you know, maybe fast forward to that if you don't want to listen to the whole podcast. I actually listened to the whole podcast. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. And the things that they discussed and talk about are some of the same concerns that Sean and I talk about on the show when it comes to collecting. So it's a very good show. But there was some questioning as to the authenticity of the game that was up for sale because of the size of the barcode. And as you know, the only difference in this game from the European version of the game is a sticker that sits on the outside of the case. So anybody could really replicate that. When I saw it, I didn't question the size of it because, I mean, quite honestly, that's not something that would come across my radar. I don't know enough about it, uh, such as someone like Chris Kohler would. And he seems very educated about it, but they seem to think it was probably a fake, or he did. And so the only thing I noticed that was that the label was very clean and white and pristine, whereas mine's a little beat up, you know. Mm. And so for me, it makes it seem more authentic. But hey, who knows? Someone who got it could have just put it up and, you know, not done anything with it. It's hard to say, but uh, it's definitely... Uh, 
something interesting to take into consideration as a collector. And from my perspective, this is not a game that I would have tried to go for. I would have definitely bought a European version of this game. You know, the old $25 version. Um, this one just happened to fall in my lap at an incredible price. And, um, you know, it is a real, real copy of the game. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to have it. But uh, at the same time, it's nothing that I would have sought out as being a part of my collection. But it's a nice piece to have in it now. Nice. Well, speaking of pickups, I guess we can roll into that unless we have any other news. Kev, you got any video game related news out in the world? Any topics you want to talk about? I have been so detached with what's going on in the video game world. I just, I don't, I don't even <laughs> no, care. No, that's fine. It's... We we usually are too. We just kind of <laughs> cherry pick the stuff that interests us. It's so the same totally crap over and over again. Nintendo says the Switch is great, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know. <laughs> Same thing. Well, that gives me a good segue to start. I'll do my pickups because I'm going to agree with Nintendo and I'm going to say the Switch is great because I have one now. Um, So you have to say it's great. It is great. No, (laughs) it, it, it really is. I like it a lot. I bought it with credit that I traded in a bunch of games into GameStop and yes, was able to raise enough money to buy a Nintendo Switch. And I finally set it up about two weeks ago, so I haven't spent a ton of time with it. I was waiting for a case and a screen protector to come in. So I like it a lot. I mean, I'm a big fan of handheld gaming, as we've talked about on the show many, many times. I'm a huge fan of the DS, 3DS, PSP, and Vita. So this is a great next step for handheld gaming. I know a lot of people, it almost seems like a 50-50 split of people who will only play it docked or people who will mostly play it handheld, which I find very interesting. But I've been doing about 50-50. I love playing it on the TV. I also love taking it into a different room or to bed and playing with headphones on. So it's pretty cool. And... uh I'm glad I finally have that. The other thing I got, I just want to touch on real quick, is the Nintendo 64 Retro Fighters controller that I kickstarted. Nice. Uh, Finally came in. It's really cool. And uh, foreshadowing, I can't wait to use it for next month's playthrough that Rich is going to tell us about later. But uh, this is a really cool controller, and uh, I recommend it. I mean, now you got to pay $30 for it, but that's still a bargain, I think, for what this thing is. All right. Well, if that's it, we'll let our guests go next. Kevin, what have you picked up in the last few weeks or so? Um, well, not too much video game stuff. I've been getting back into the music uh, collecting, uh, vinyl records and CDs and whatnot. But I did find an Atari Flashback 8 Gold Edition. I was looking hard for one of these two Christmases ago when it uh, when it first came out, and it just seemed like no retailer in Canada had any. They just, you know, there was no stock or they weren't getting it or whatever. Um, I could have ordered one from the States. I had some people offer to ship me one from the States, but with the exchange rate and shipping and everything, it just would have cost too much. So I kind of put it out of my mind for a long time and just hadn't been thinking about it at all. And then a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Walmart and um, there they were, uh, Atari Flashback 8 Gold Edition with the uh, Activision games in it. Is that a plug and play or is that the handheld version? No, I do. I have the handheld version. Um, I was able to get that right away uh, with the, the SD card and that. That's a lot of fun, too. Oh, I've been eyeballing that one for a while. Let, yeah. Let me tell you, the great thing about that is that it 
has the SD card, so you can put uh, ROMs on it. So, for instance, when Rich uh, posts his pickups for the week and there's some obscure Atari game on there, I can uh, just pull out this thing and say, is this a good game or what? Should I, this be on my radar? And I can play it right away. Even uh, the other day, Richard asked me, is there a Star Trek game on the 2600? I'm like, I think so. Yep. And so then I went on it and sure enough, there it was. And I started playing. I'm like, yeah, I remember this game and it and it's a good game. So the, the cool thing about this, uh, it is a plug and play, this flashback. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it's a little smaller than the uh, Atari 2600, but it's a, you know, it's not like your usual flashbacks. I find them fairly cheap this one has uh hdmi out um you can rewind games up to seven seconds and you can save games as well i don't know how many atari games you would need to save but uh you can do it if you want to i'm going to do a video on it uh, soon i'm actually going to have some video game related uh, material up on my channel so i'm going to try to finish that up uh, sometime this week uh, just do a little overview of the system but uh yeah this you know saves work and uh, it has a hundred atari games uh, like from the company Atari, and then the 20 uh, Activision games. Uh, so there's you know quite a f- bit missing in the Activision library, but what's there is really good. And um, you know if you know anything about the Atari 2600, Activision was, I mean I think they out Atari Atari on that console. Yeah. Uh, they had all the best games, and uh, so it's you know it's got your Pitfall, Sequest, Enduro, uh, Hero is on there. Works really well. I'm really impressed with the controllers. They're just uh, slightly smaller than the regular Atari controller. It uses uh, AAA batteries, a couple AAA batteries, but they, I, you know, I've been playing it a lot, and it, I haven't had to change them yet. And it has the controls on the on the controller, and it's not one of those ones, you know, those infrared ones where you have to point it at the console. Yeah. That's not what these are. I've had them like under a blanket and everything. I've been testing, messing around with this system a lot, and. I, I've actually had it in the other room, and I, I I hit it accidentally, and I heard a little bloop, and I'm like, oh, it it works, and you know, it's got really good range. You know, they feel good, and you know, no lag or anything like that. The only thing that kind of sucks is the HDMI port for it is on the side of the machine instead of the back, which is really weird. If you're not digging those controllers too, you can uh, you can use regular Atari controllers. Um, oh, cool. I used my old Boss joystick that I used to have for my Commodore 64. I used that on there. It worked. The only thing that didn't work was, um, for some reason, the uh, Sega Genesis controller, the gamepad. Let me ask you this. Are there paddle games on there? Does it come with any paddle controllers? It doesn't come with paddle controllers, so you have to use your, your own. But it, the games are there. Uh, yeah, Warlord is on there. Kaboom. Kaboom. Yeah. I was going to say Crackpots, but that's not one. Um but yeah, so like you can't play four players, you know, if you have the paddle controllers. But yeah, it, I'm impressed with it. I think it's uh, uh, seventy dollars, seventy or eighty dollars in the states. Or no, that's what it is here in Canada. I paid. I think I paid. Or I don't know. It's it's not cheap, but there's reasons why it's not cheap. It's actually re- uh, really well built, solidly made. What's your interest in Atari's new console that's supposedly coming out? Um, I I mean, if if the price is was right for it, you know, um, yeah. Looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it it does, but I I don't know. I I wait for the reviews. You know, I'll just wait for the That's reviews. That's me. Yeah, see what people are saying, and then and I'll take it from there. I was an early adopter. Sorry, sorry, Sean. I was an early adopter with the Vita, and I haven't been a fan of that system. 
Uh, and it might no, be. No, it's okay. I heard you sold it recently. I did. That's okay. I'm so happy to. And uh, <laughs> oh man, okay. Well, you don't have to rub it in. Look, Jeez. When I first bought that thing, that was personal. I couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted this thing. They were like, "Nah, we don't want that." It has no games, so it sat in my closet for a few years, and then finally someone wanted it. And I'm so glad too because the reason why this person wanted it was there's this Yeez game on there that's not on any other system, and they after I sold it to them, they just announced like a week ago that that game is coming out on the PC. <laughs> so <laughs> dodge the bullet there. But anyways, yeah, Atari Flashback 8 Gold Edition. It's good. That's it. That's all I picked up. Unless you want to hear about my ACDC records. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you did a couple of pickup videos uh, with your wife. That's right, yeah. Um, Sarah and I were kind of talking about it because we – go out thrifting a lot and there's just no video game stuff out anymore at least where where i go at the valley village or whatever no, yeah. it's same here you go everywhere yeah you go there there's like you know three wii games an xbox one game and and you know anything you find that's good it looks like somebody wiped their ass with it or something you know it's pretty roached <laughs> so we've just been like looking at music more in that and we just you know i kind of pulled out the old cds and uh, you know, I had them in tubs and Rubbermaid tubs and, you know, we st- just started getting back into it. And um, so as we were collecting this stuff, I'm like, you know, I was asking her, do you want to do a video once in a while with me? I think it'd be fun. And she was like, yeah, I think so. And then, you know, things kind of went crazy there in the fall. So then after Christmas, we kind of talked about it again. And um, yeah, just the other day I said, okay, I'm going in the room to do a pickup video. Do you want to join me? And she did. And we had a lot of fun and uh, we just shot one uh, yesterday. It actually will be going up today, and it's her third one already. So it was all her that was pushing. She wanted to do another one. Well, I want to do another one of those pickup videos. I'm like, oh, very cool, <laughs> yeah, man. That I don't is have, awesome. Yeah, it's it's. I don't have to force her or anything. And in this one, she picked up like I don't know about thirty CDs, and I had eight. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's it, they're a lot of fun. It's good times. Awesome. Rich, how about you? I know you got some very cool stuff that I'm gonna have to chime in on, but. Take it away. Yeah. Feel free to comment on anything. Uh, One of the first things I picked up, and almost immediately after I made the purchase of the Sonic the Hedgehog for Sega Master System, as I mentioned, mine did not have a manual. Uh, Found a manual, came from the Netherlands, and it arrived the other day. And so I was happy to pick that up and complete my box copy of Sonic the Hedgehog, U.S. version for Sega Master System. I was out uh, visiting my parents several weeks ago, and we went by a pawn shop. My dad was like, you want to stop at this pawn shop while we're going by it? I was like, well, I'm not going to refuse if someone's offering to stop by a pawn shop, you know, to check it out. I wasn't expecting much. Um, It's in a small town, but man, they had a ton of video game stuff. I didn't pick up a whole lot. I only picked up two games, but one that I was really, really happy to get was uh, Metroid Prime Trilogy for Wii. Nice. And this is the uh, Steelcase version, which I believe was GameStop only exclusive. Is that right? Actually, the reprint was a GameStop exclusive. Uh, okay. You got the first print, which mm-hmm. is the more hard to find one, I think. Even better then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was able to grab that for what I considered a fantastic price. I was also able to grab a copy of Radiata Stories, which I was able to help uh, one of our buddies, Metal Fro, out. He actually purchased that from me. So, uh, so yeah. Ah, uh, that's good. Yeah, I was I'm able glad to help he gave uh, Josh a copy of that game because that could be a playthrough game. That's one of my favorite games on the PlayStation 2. And uh, 
I would love to play it with the community. It is an RPG, but it it's no longer than I don't know twenty twenty five hours. I think it's in our definitely in our wheelhouse. Huh? We could do it. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was a game I already had, but I mean, for what they were asking for it, it was kind of like be kind of stupid not to pick it up and find somebody who would really want it, you know, at a good price. So, so we made that uh, swap, and that was great. Glad that he has it. Um, few other games while out of town I picked up Dead Heat Scramble which is a racing game for the Game Boy and I picked up this really odd game called One Piece Mansion for the PS1 and this was a Capcom game I'd never heard of it but um, eh, it's not in the best condition but sometimes you just find these like really really strange games and um, you just have to pick it up especially if it's cheap enough it's like a simulator where you are a landlord and you've got all these different tenants and you have to kind of keep them happy. So, yeah, it's a really kind of quirky game, uh, really neat drawn characters. And, uh, yeah, I haven't played it yet, but uh, I'm interested in uh, checking it out. I also picked up a copy of Tailgater for Game Boy. This is a, a rarer game for the Game Boy system. And it's just like a platformer where you play as an alligator and you can kind of swing your tail to take out things. It's a lot of fun. I, I've played that within the last week as I was testing it out. Kind of got sucked into it a little bit. I picked up Great Ice Hockey for the Sega Master System Complete. And that was a very cheap game. And I found it locally, and that brings me down to 12 more games for a complete Sega Master System set. Hmm. I'm working on that one now. I've got the Sonic, so, you know, I, I, I feel like i got to go for it now. Yeah. Try to get that U.S. set. Do you have that boxing game? Uh, bu- Buster uh, no, Douglas? Buster Douglas. Yeah. No, I came across a copy of that at a convention here in town last November. And it did not have the manual with it, so I passed on it. Plus, I had just gotten back from Retro World Expo up in Connecticut, mm. and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not interested <laughs> in spending that kind of money right now. Right. Let's just." I got a little Samson at that convention, so I'm just like, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait on that. I'm gonna buy my time on that one." Uh, just uh, you know, it being not the greatest of games, mm-hmm. but uh, if I'm gonna complete the set at some point, I'm gonna have to bite the bullet on that. I know. So, but I'd like for it to be complete. Um, I picked up, um, or it came in the mail, a pre-order that I had pre-ordered, gosh, probably almost a year ago, if not more. It was an indie game called Velocity 2X Critical Mass Edition, and uh, that came out on PS4. It was supposed to come out, I think it was in October November, but they kept pushing the release date back on it. Um, think of this game sort of like Gunstar Heroes. It's sort of like a running gun uh, with a female character, sort of like in the vein of Metroid. But um, it's more of that kind of fast-paced running gun action. This weekend, I actually picked up a copy of 50 Caliber, which is a Genesis game. It is a game that I've been searching for for a while. This was a loose copy that I found locally. I would compare it to like Akari Warriors. It's kind of neat. You've got your Genesis controller, and it's that turret mode. So the A button turns you one way, the C button turns you the other. And then the B button, you just kind of hold that down to fire. It's a very interesting game. And if you like Akari Warriors, I would say this would be the one to put on your radar. Sean, I think this is the one you're pretty pumped about me getting. I picked up a copy of Yakuza 2 for PS2. Hell yeah. <laughs> This was a game that a local store had two copies of, and 
they had them both marked at about 90 bucks, which, I mean, this is typically, I don't know if the price has gone down on it or not, but it was around a $100 game. And I had just been sitting on it for months. They ended up selling one copy, and I've been watching the other one just kind of go down and go down. They had it at 60 last time I was there. And then I go back yesterday with my wife, and it's down to 40 bucks. So I'm like, mm. time to pull the trigger before someone else wises up and realizes that this is a really good game. And it's, you know, only 40 bucks. Beautiful disc, has the manual, complete. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to have that game in my collection. Well, they just announced um, a re-release, right, for the PlayStation 4? Yeah, yeah, yeah so I that's, think so. That might be why the price came down. Yeah, it could be. Um, I don't know. I haven't been following the price, you know, like on eBay mm. and where that's going. But like you said, I know a lot of people will relinquish their copies because of that. But as Sean knows, I'm happy to have the PS2, the original version, right, Sean? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and that that's my favorite game in the series. It's not the middle chapter anymore, but at the time it, it was what you would call the dark middle chapter of the Yakuza uh, saga. And uh I'm excited to hear about it if you end up playing it. It's a fantastic game. Kev, have you ever played any of the Yakuza games? Uh, I got the Kwame one, the first one, the re-release okay, for the, yeah. the PlayStation 4. And I only played it for, I don't know, a couple of hours. It didn't really pull me in. In the first couple of hours of that game, you have to get this girl her uh, diamond ring or something. And it just felt like every time I was about to get this ring, something else would happen and I wouldn't get it. <laughs> I was just getting really frustrated. And it just might've been the mood I was in or something, you know, sometimes like you just want action and it's just not delivering that to you. So I do still have it. So I'm going to go back and revisit it at some point. Can I ask you something and don't take this the wrong way. This is a sincere question. Okay. <laughs> Does this tend to happen to you a lot? And what I mean is, do you start a game that just rubs you the wrong way and you're turned off strongly by it? And the reason I ask is, when you tweeted about Nier Automata, I had to tweet back at you, like, please give it another (laughs) shot. You know what I mean? And now you're saying this about Yakuza, you know, the Yakuza 1 remake. I'm just curious... It's not a bad or a good thing. I'm just wondering if that's a thing that that happens a lot to Uh, you. Yeah, it does happen. I'd say the difference with Nier and Yakuza, Yakuza was like, I could understand what it was trying to do, but I think I was just not in the mood for that. You know, I was in the mood for like a racing game or some action or something like that, and it wasn't delivering it. So I could kind of see that. With Nier Automata, I get what it's trying to do, but I really just had a bad experience with that game. Like, I stayed away from all the spoilers and all that. I didn't want to know anything about this game because I love Nier, the first one. You look at our, you know, montage on the Retro Fandango website. The banner has, um, uh, what's her, uh, Kanye is like, Kanye, Kanye West, whatever. Kanye? Kanye, whatever. (laughs) I call her Kanye. Uh, She's, uh, you know, she's right in the front there. Like, that's how much we, we like that game. And I wasn't expecting that game. I understand that that's what it, you know, it's trying to do. And people really like that. Like the, the whole, well, it's trolling you. It's basically trolling you, you know? And I get it's supposed to be quirky but i just was no i just did not want that you know i did not want to play a game for 40 minutes well it's my own fault for falling asleep during the first 40 minutes but then i died and there was no save point you know so all right i'll play it again and you know i'm messing around in the menus and i remove a chip and oh it's game over i just (laughs) and it's like okay what's the next thing i'm gonna find and something bad is gonna happen so i just i i had enough of that you know it just wasn't for me no that's fine i like saints row 
That's that's my jam. Yeah. Saints Row Four. Just run, gun, jump on roofs. You know, fly anywhere. That's good. I agree. I'm a huge fan of Saints Row Four as well. So I'm not going to argue with that. I don't know what to say. I I know Near is a we talk. I talked about it on the show a couple months ago when I played. It's a very niche game. Uh, I totally understand some crazy wacky things happen in that game, uh, but. I just got to say, 2B, best girl, waifu forever. And uh, we'll, we'll move on. I know from what that now. means now. <laughs> I only have a vague idea of what that means, but I'll just I'll just accept it for uh, what it is. Just refer to our last month's show for a full explanation of that. Or my Twitter feed where I post all of my best girl waifus. <laughs> so, Rich, we derailed your scores here. Uh, I think we left off at Yakuza 2. Uh, yeah, f- you guys. I mean, you're messing <laughs> up my pickups. <laughs> what is up with that? <laughs> oh, man. Jeez. All right. So getting back on track here. My uh, other pickup was another out-of-towner. I picked up a copy of Super Adventure Island 2, which I understand is a good game. I haven't gotten to check it out yet, but I do like the Adventure Island series for the Nintendo, so uh, I'm looking for a little more of that in this title. And then one of my Ooh, bigger, if wait, not biggest pickups. That, that's oh. a, a different game than the rest of the Adventure Island games. That's more like a Zelda kind of game. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, hey, even better. Yeah. So don't go into it expecting a, a platformer and not getting it, and then you're going to be in a bad mood. So now you're... Yeah, you might quit and never play it yeah. again like Kevin does <laughs> I mean, who does that? Game. Who does that, really? <laughs> all right, let's strike two, guys. All right, so... <laughs> So my biggest pickup for the month was uh, Ninja Warriors for the Super Nintendo. I found that at a shop. Wife and I went out of town for an adult trip with another couple. And of course, at the end of it, it's me begging, can I stop by game shops on the way home? Because that's how sad and pitiful I am. And so we did stop. And the price of the Ninja Warriors was very fair for what they wanted for it. And I was prepared to pay that. But then... I brought it up to the register and the girl said, well, let me check the price on this. If what we use to price it has, nope, listen, wait for it. (laughs) If it has gone down, we'll reduce the price. But if it's gone up, you get it for what it's for. Oh, that's all right. I know. Turn of events. I've had the opposite happen to me before. Oh, yeah. At a game store. So the price on it had gone down by 10 bucks. So I got it 10 bucks cheaper. Nice. So, yeah. That's really cool. I'll be stopping at that store more often because I thought that was an awesome idea. And they do that with all their showcase games. They don't do it with the games that they have out in the open, but anything that's in that showcase that they have to pull out, they will check the price on it against whatever service it is that they use um, to come up with their pricing. So I thought that was really neat. A really cool game. I am a huge fan of the Ninja Warriors arcade. I don't know if you guys ever played that or not growing up. But it is fantastic. If you ever have a chance to play it, you have to play it. But yeah, so that was another one of my pickups. And then finally, my last pickup was a complete copy of Lizard for the NES. This was a game that um, I kickstarted. Usually, when I'm having to wait a few years for something that I've kickstarted, I get aggravated. But the guy who actually produced this game and developed it, his name's Brad Smith. He's doing it on his own. He would send out these long, really detailed emails of where he was at in building this game. Every month, I would get an update. Nice. And so, it was nice. It was comforting. 
that is the way when you kickstart something you should do. And I'm talking, I mean, these emails were lengthy. They had pictures and he was showing here, this is what I'm trying to work out. These are the problems I was having, but I want to make this game and I want it to be something that I'm very proud of. So it's going to take some time to do that. But I'm updating you and letting you know what your money's gone toward and where the game currently stands. And so that finally came in. You can actually buy this game and we're going to have a review on RF Generation. It's probably already going to be up by the time this podcast is released. But uh, we have one of our members who um, I actually gave my digital code of the game. Guy sent me a digital code of the game before he sent me my physical copy. And so I passed that on to one of our members so that he could review it and put a review up on the website. So you should definitely check that out at rfgeneration.com. Very cool, man. Is that it? That's it for your pickups, I guess? That's it. All right. Was that not enough? No, that was good, man. Very good. Are you not uh, entertained? I'm very, <laughs> very entertained. Uh, so let's move on into the to the what are you playing section. I'll let Kevin go first this time. Uh, Kevin, tell us what you're playing and uh, how you feel about what you're playing. Well, I am so glad you asked me this today because if you asked me yesterday, it'd be nothing. I haven't been playing much of anything at all. Uh, I did pick up Metroid Samus Returns, and I only played that for about an hour, and I wasn't really digging it, but I'm kind of saving it for, uh, you know, because got, I got a couple of trips coming up with Easter and all that, so kind of saving it for that. I hear it gets better the more you play it, so... But really not much of anything. And then today, I was actually last night, I had a couple of albums recommended to me because I follow a couple of blogs. And um, sometimes like racing games are really good for like sampling some music. You know, you can play this racing game and you can have the music going on in the background. Uh, so I just started diving back into the Forza series. I really like the Forza Horizon games. Have you guys ever played those? I haven't played Horizon, but I was really into Forza... I think it was two and three, the ones that were on the 360. Yeah. Uh, like tons of hours put into those games. I really fell off with it. I think I have Forza 4, but I haven't tried the Horizon games. Those are more open world. Yeah, they're open world and they're a little more arcadey. Um, you just do like really fun things in them. Like the Forza games, like the tradi- like the standard series is a little stuffy. You know, it's um, not as bad as Gran Turismo, but... Uh, it's it's a simulator. It's a racing simulator. Uh, so you're just racing around tracks and that. And th- those are good, and I like them. I played 2, 3, and 4. And actually, the first Forza game is really the game that got me back into racing games on the, on the original Xbox. But this Forza series is a really just a fun twist on the whole thing where, yeah, you can kind of go anywhere. You find these events. Like, for instance, you'll be racing a helicopter. There'll be a helicopter that's going to a destination, and you have to find a way to get to that point and just get there faster kind of thing. It's Horizon 3 that I was uh, that I started playing, and uh, that one is really open world. Like, you can basically go anywhere. It's not realistic at all because you're driving through, like, a farmer's field, and, you know, there's, like, an orchard, you know, and there's orange plants, like, flying all over the place and that as your car zips through it. So it's not realistic in any sort of way, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. You know, you're racing a train. You know, the train has, like, a direct line to there, so you got to go drive down all these, like, twisty, turny roads, and you jump over the train, and, you know, you get the whole slow-mo kind of thing and all that. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And on the Xbox, you can have the Spotify app going on in the background. You can turn off the in-game music and just pick your own kind of music. Uh, so I did that uh, a lot today. And uh, I look forward to getting back into into that game. So I played the first one and I kind of skipped the second Forza Horizon. So I'm going to have to go back and see if I can find that. But uh, 3 is a lot of fun. That's pretty much it. That's that's all I've been playing. That's it. That's awesome. I'll, I'll have to go back and see if I can find a copy of one of these Horizon games for cheap. I would be interested in that. I really like the open world aspect of a game like Burnout Paradise, how it took the racing to a, a more open world game. Yeah, Burnout Paradise is a good comparison to it. It's not as arcadey as Burnout Paradise, and that game is like, that series is a better series overall. But uh, yeah, Horizon's like, it's up there too. Um, do you have uh, Xbox Gold Live Gold? Have you had that or had it for a while? I haven't had it for a while. I've had it for about eight months. So oh, okay. At some point, the first Horizon game was an Xbox Live Gold game. So and it's backwards compatible. So that might be okay. in your catalog already. So you can start. All there. right, I will have to take a look. I I also have to re- recommend the. Uh, the game Need for Speed Underground, not the one that came out in the early 2000s, but the one that was more recently, I think it was about 2015 or 16 that came out. Another great open world racing game that I believe was developed by Criterion. So they just kind of redid uh, Burnout Paradise, but it's not a burnout game. So I got to recommend that one too. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Played it on my Vita and enjoyed every second of it. Lousy um, frame rate. <laughs> um all right well i'm gonna pass it over to rich uh rich tell us about what you've been playing please guys i gotta tell you it's been a crazy month since our last recording with the new site leadership and getting that set up with the donation drive (laughs) you know going on the same month i've been extremely busy not to mention you know getting stuff up on the front page um and updates for everything so I haven't been playing anything intently like I've been doing through most of the rest of the year, but most of my stuff that I've been playing has been basically checking out my cartridges to make sure they're working, the ones that I buy after I clean them, putting them in the system, making sure they work. So I kind of got sucked into a few games. I've probably already mentioned all three of these in my pickups, but the Caliber 50, again, that's um, an Akari Warriors type clone, fun game for the Genesis, highly recommend that. And then uh, Tailgater for the Game Boy, another fun platformer, I think it's really neat, and uh, again, one of the pricier games for the Game Boy, but... That's definitely one I would say um, add to your collection. It's by, uh, I think the company's called Natsume. Um, and uh, they, they put up some really, really good games for the Game Boy. And then the final thing was, of course, Ninja Warriors. My son and I have been playing that game and having a lot of fun. It's a uh, beat-em-up with stages and boss battles at the end. Highly recommend this game, even though... Again, like I said, I'm a very, very big fan of the arcade port. This isn't a bad port to the Super Nintendo. It's a lot of fun. It's a different game, but one that I would say you should definitely own for your Super Nintendo if you're a big collector for that system and and if you love beat-em-ups, which, um, of course, I do. That's all I've been playing. Just sort of some, uh, you know, kind of quick pick-up-and-put-down games. Nothing intense, 
but I'm still on a roll. I, I know like at the beginning of the year, I told you that one of my New Year's resolutions was to actually play more games. And so I've beaten all of the games that we played for the playthroughs, and then I've beaten an additional three games, one for every month since the beginning of the year, too. So yeah, I think that's that's pretty successful. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, good for you. That's pretty cool. Now, uh, before I go into what I'm playing, I got to fact check myself a little. Because as soon as I said uh, Need for Speed Underground, I said, wait, that's not right. Um, the game I was referencing is actually Need for Speed Most Wanted, which oh. came out in 2012. Yeah, yeah. That was developed by Criterion as the open world game. That's really good. So just so people get that right. Oh, I'm totally cutting this out of the show because I want people to be like. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you were talking about Hot Pursuit. Hot Pursuit is uh, is a good game. Have you played that one? No, I don't think so. Criterion made that one as well. And that one is Okay, cool. Like it's really good. You can play as a cop and or as the, the Now the one I didn't like was um uh Rivals. Have you played that one? No, no. It's actually really good. It's a lot of fun, but the the save system in it is totally screwed up. You can't save. Like there's no manual save. You can't tell it I want to save this game. It just saves whenever okay. you whenever it wants at random times. It's got something to do with the server, and it needs to talk to the server. And this is a problem on, you know, the Xbox One, PS4, uh, PC. It needs to connect to the server in order to save, because it has to keep something on the cloud or some stupid bullshit. And you'd play the game, you'd play it for hours and hours and hours. This is great, this is fun. And then you'd come back, and it's like the last three hours that you played. Everything you played in your last session is gone. Oh, damn. Yeah, that that's not right, man. And the game is so good, I kept going back. I'm like, well, maybe it'll work this time. And you go online and they say, <laughs> you know, oh, just play offline or whatever. And it's like, okay, it's going to, you know, it's like, you know, Charlie Brown in the football. I'm going to get the ball this time. And nope. All right. Well, I'll take that under advisement. Well, as far as games that I've been playing, uh, I do want to mention a game called Valiant Hearts The Great War, which is actually another World War I game. And I've been talking about World War I for the past couple months on this show. And my like kind of raging interest in World War I is starting to wane a little, but I was aware of this game. And I, I do have to say that this is the game that I was looking for as far as being like literally a good history lesson and a good story and having good representation and, and everything else. This is a Ubisoft game that was developed in that uh, UbiArt engine, which was the same engine used to develop Child of Light, which we played on the playthrough last year or the year before. I can't remember. Um, so it is a th- a 2D scrolling kind of game with a very artistic, hand-drawn looking kind of art style. The problem with it for me, though, was that it's an environmental puzzle game, like 100%. And as some of our listeners may know, because I mention it from time to time, environmental puzzles are like the bane of my existence. It's part of the reason I don't like Zelda games too much, and I just typically don't like these, well, what do I do next kind of games. So I played through about half of it before I was frustrated enough to just watch the second half of it on a YouTube video. However, I can't recommend it highly enough for people who can tolerate environmental puzzles because I know that's, you know, it's a very common genre that people are into. I just happen to not play well with them. 
like I said, this is very historically accurate to the point where there is like, you know, like in a lot of games you have a codex with things that you can read and all of these are actual like photos and facts and stories and really cool like historical things from World War One. So for all my complaints about Battlefield 1 and, and, you know, what I wrote and what we talked about with that game, it seems like if you really want a game that kind of encapsulates World War One, Valiant Hearts, The Great War is the, the way to go. Anybody here played that one? Yeah, I played it and I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought it was cool, uh, cool, great. And I hate when video games make me read. That's the bane <laughs> of my existence. I got to learn okay. stuff. Like I just want to, <laughs> but I read every single one of those. Cause I, once you finish a level, you unlock a little piece of the of history and it ties into what you did in that level. Like, you know, if you're in the trenches and you're walking around the trenches, at the end, there'll be like a little piece on trenches and what the soldiers went right. through um, in, in trench warfare. And it was just great. It was such a great idea. It was a great salute. And no offense, guys, but sometimes the Ameri- the stuff that comes out of America is a little America-centric. And this showed stuff from each uh, a soldier's perspective from both sides of the war. Like it went into the German stuff as well. So like, you know, it wasn't like black and white, good versus evil kind of thing. It was just like what a soldier went through during the war. And they put it in a video game. I thought it was incredible. An incredible game. Yes, exactly. It was the answer to all of my criticisms of Battlefield 1, which we talked about last month. So yeah, definitely check out that game for a more reverent and respectful view of uh, the First World War. And it was made in Canada. That's right. Montreal. <laughs> um, I am going to mention one other thing, but what I'm playing currently is Fire Emblem Warriors, which is the first game that I decided to play on the Nintendo Switch. I'm enjoying it quite a bit, and it's kind of funny that Omega Force, as a developer, is known for the Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors games, and I've never played one of those, but I've played Attack on Titan, and now I'm playing Fire Emblem Warriors, and I really liked both of those games. So it's pretty cool, and for those who don't know, Fire Emblem is a tactical strategy RPG, but... The Warriors games are what are known as Muso games, which is you just run around and there's hundreds of enemies and you just hack away at them and they're all just flying up in the air and it's crazy action and these games have been around forever. And Omega Force has started like licensing their or actually other companies have licensed their properties to them to make like they have a Zelda one called Hyrule Warriors. So this Fire Emblem game is actually pretty cool because it has all of the presentation of a Fire Emblem game. The sound effects are all the same, the character portraits. Um, There's even like this pre-battle plan that you can do that kind of looks like a strategy RPG kind of map, like from a traditional Fire Emblem game. So they do a really good job of blending the Muso hack and slash action elements with the things that we know and love from Fire Emblem. So... I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, so that's the the first game I'm playing on the Switch. And the other game I played that I want to talk about is Mass Effect Andromeda. And I wrote an article about Mass Effect Andromeda. And it was I was going to just review it. But for some reason, I really felt the need to kind of editorialize on the tragic reception that this game got because of the technical problems that it had at launch 
and mainly the facial animations being wonky and looking ridiculous when the game came out. Once I played the game and looked back on that, I felt like writing about how tragic it was that this game was actually, to me at least, really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think I was trying to make too many points at once. And once again, I really have to shout out our community over at rfgeneration.com because I had so many great comments on that post and the members really, we really have a way of communicating with each other where I can legitimately say that I'm getting good constructive criticism on my writing, which is something that I'm trying to get better at. And I got to shout out specifically uh, a member, Ikari Niku, for really clarifying my own points for me and making me realize, like, wow, I really wasn't clear enough here. Like, I tried to do too many things at once, and uh, we really hashed it out in the comments, so to speak. And uh, I really appreciate that. And I got to say, if you are a Mass Effect fan and you were on the fence about Mass Effect Andromeda, if you wrote it off because of the wonky facial animations when the game launched. It's been patched. You can read about the development. It's a really crazy story. But for me, I mean, you can get it very cheaply now. If you bought it at 60 when it first came out, yes, that kind of sucks. And they should never launch a game in that state. But now it's a game worth playing. So that's the other game that I played recently. Kevin, are you a Mass Effect fan at all? And have you played Andromeda? The Mass Effect series, it's like up there. It might be my favorite series from the last generation. I mean, it, you were Captain Kirk, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it's, this game. It's not quite there. I kind of want like to be able to go anywhere and do anything and just explore space. But it felt like the soap opera kind of Star Trek episodes really question you know, like that was a great thing about Star Trek. It was it would ask these questions about our, you know, who we are and whatever. And then you were doing that in this game. And what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing? And it wasn't always easy to know what the right answer was. And there might be a couple more than a few right answers. So I, I loved it. And yeah, I passed on Andromeda hard. It just looked terrible. Like this was the first game too on the next, like this generation of consoles, right? So you're expecting... Yeah, exactly. You're expecting that from this game. You're expecting the next step, not just more of the same, you know? So I think yeah. that, that's, that was part of the ire, too. Um, but yeah, I've seen it for, I think this past Christmas, it was on Origin for like five bucks or whatever, and I still didn't grab it. So hearing this and knowing that it's all patched now and everything, I, I just might give it a shot. Yeah, I would say to you and to our listeners, like that's what kind of surprised me and kind of fired me up to write the piece that I did was that, you know, this ends up being a pretty good game. And I, I would have done this anyway, but I made it absolutely sure to make a custom character because I had burned into my mind all these wacky videos of the default characters that I didn't want in my head while I was playing this game. So I'd recommend making a custom character and uh, just going for it. I mean, it's a very fun game. And just, you know, realize that... I wrote in my article, it has kind of a direct-to-video sequel feel to it. And for me, there's nothing wrong with that. And in the video game realm, maybe we don't have enough of that. Everything has to be this AAA blockbuster, and it has to be the greatest game that's ever happened, you know what I mean, to get that hype. Uh, I won't go on and on about it, but 
I will say I thoroughly enjoyed this game. I was shocked by how much I liked it. And again, shout out to the community because it was one of the most awesome conversations we've had uh, on something that I've written. And I'm super, super grateful for that. So uh, this month we chose to play Transformers Devastation. And for the participants this month, it was me, Rich, Kevin, who's on the show here, Metal Fro, Dougley007, and our good friend Pam, another cartridge clubbing Canadian. So <laughs> thanks, everybody who played the game with us this month. So... This is a developed by Platinum Games, and they're best known for Bayonetta and uh, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. They kind of revolutionized the hack and slash genre in the modern age. I'm guessing they were kind of inspired by the God of War games, which they didn't develop, but they kind of iterated on that. They have a great pedigree, but then they ended up in more recent years having kind of a streaky history, and this... Transformers game, we'll talk about it, is somewhere in one of those streaks, and we'll elaborate on that a little bit <laughs> as we go. Um, but this was published by Activision in 2015. From what I've read, it's not available to purchase digitally as of last year because the license expired, so that's worth noting. I actually have it digitally, but I got it quite a while back, so I suppose that's why I was still able to play it. It was released on all 7th and 8th generation platforms. I didn't even list them all. And uh, it's a cell-shaded action game featuring Generation 1 Transformers. So one of the things we wanted to talk about, and one of the reasons we got Kevin on the show, we're all around the same age, and we all kind of grew up with these Transformers toys and the cartoon, presumably. So what are you guys' histories with the Transformers? And Rich, this was your kind of idea in the notes. So let's start with you. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, Transformers was something that was a huge part of my childhood. Definitely affected by the cartoon first and foremost. It was something that I would ride the bus home every day from school probably get in around three o'clock or so and then maybe get a snack from my grandparents and then immediately flip the television on around three thirty, four o'clock and watch an episode of Transformers. It was huge. 
Transformers and I guess probably G.I. Joe were the two most influential toy lines of my childhood. Now, it's not to say that I didn't have other toys, but being a young adolescent kid and having something that would transform from a robot into like a badass plane or automobile was probably one of the coolest things as a kid to experience. And I know they're still out now. It's something that I try to share with my kids. And I think my son thinks it's pretty cool. But I feel like that we come from a generation that was heavily toy driven. And today's generation, I feel like is more driven by electronics and playing games on phones, tablets and things like that. When I go to Target or to Walmart and I go by the toy section, oftentimes I see adults that are looking for these toys other than than kids and, you know, people kind of still keeping the toy spirit alive. But again, I think we grew up in a different time when as kids we were very toy centric. I don't know if you guys would agree with that or not. Oh, yeah, for sure. Toys were the thing. Yeah. So, Kevin, what's your... Uh personal history was Transformers a big thing for you as a child or were you more into other franchises? Well, before I answer that, I got to put my uh, nerd glasses on here and uh, (laughs) and calm everybody down with your history of uh, Platinum Games. Platinum Games, they were the guys who were in Clover Studios. Yeah, so thank you for bringing this up. I appreciate it. So they were a division of Capcom. They made uh, Beautiful Joe, Okami, and uh, God Hand. And those guys had worked before that for, um, yeah, no, it was still Capcom. They worked on uh, Resident Evil 4 and the Devil May Cry series, which is a hack and slash game. So that's how these guys developed into the hack and slash. Like, I mean, they've been doing this genre forever, almost. Yeah, that's fine. And maybe it's unfair. You know, the God of War thing was maybe inappropriate, let's say, but there's no denying that they were riding on the success of that versioning genre when they started doing what they were doing. Although it's one of those things like the chicken egg thing, like Tomb Raider became Uncharted, became Tomb Raider, became Uncharted, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Influencing each other. So I'm going to tacitly stand by what I said, but you're totally right to <laughs> to call out that. No, like, these guys made Devil May Cry, you idiot. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't saying that. Maybe I insinuated it a little, but no. Uh, it, was a, it was a new, like, 3D hack and slash games were, were new at the time. It was a new thing, and there was a lot of new ideas and everything coming. Like, you know, God of War, for better or for worse, introduced, for instance, the quick time events into that kind of game. And, you know, that right. uh, Devil May Cry kind of adopted that into later games as well. So there's definitely like them feeding off of each other. But I just wanted to establish that they had been doing this for a long time. As for my history with Transformers, Transformers was on a channel that went past 13. And my television in my house went up to channel 13. All we had was the dial and that was it. So I couldn't watch Transformers. A lot of kids I knew did. Um, so He-Man, and then later on the real Ghostbusters, those were really my one and two. I always admired Transformers from afar. I saw the other kids playing with them and that, and they looked cool. And I mean, Optimus Prime looked so awesome. Uh, but I just never really got to watch uh, the show. I eventually had like smaller Transformers, like, you know, like the budget ones, like the little plastic guys or whatever. I had pieces of like, you know, like the ones that you could put together to a, make it into a big robot. 
So I'd have like the leg mm-hmm. or something, you know, the car that would turn <laughs> into a leg or whatever. Uh, but I never really had like sound wave or anything like that. Um, but later on, when some of my family members eventually got an actual, um, well, we called them converters, but they were actually like be a cable box that you could attach to your television. And that would allow you to get more channels beyond channel 13. And my grandmother had one in her bedroom, not on the main TV in her living room, but in her bedroom. So on Sundays, this was the only time it would air. It would air at, uh, I believe it was 1030 on a Sunday. And we had mass on Sunday morning at nine o'clock that my sister and I had to attend to. So we had to hope that the priest would make a quick sermon like 45 minutes, uh, so then we can get communion in, and then we would visit my grandmother after, and her and I would just grab like my grandmother's keys, and we would run ahead of my parents now, because my grandmother was really slow. She would stop and talk to everybody. It was like a whole big thing after church, right? And we were just like, give us the keys, because we got to get to your house and watch Transformers. So my sister and I would just run over to her house, pile up on her bed, and watch uh, Transformers on this tiny little 14-inch TV and uh, we rarely caught the opening of the show. I think for the first, you know, five months we watched the show, we never saw the opening of it. Uh, we would always catch it like partway in. And at that time, too, what also made it exciting was that it was the only cartoon that was on on Sunday. Once Transformers was done, there was nothing <laughs> like it was, you know, stupid football or something for the rest of the day. It's not like today where you have Netflix and you can watch cartoons anytime. So I I loved it. I had a coloring book, but, you know, it wasn't like my main thing, you know. Man, I feel so spoiled now. You really had to work we for did. that. And it made me appreciate it. <laughs> let me tell you, we uh, we really liked the show. My sister and I loved it. Very cool. How about you, Sean? What's your history? Yeah, I think mine is more similar to Kevin's. Actually, the show was available to me, but I... I guess I was much more of a He-Man kid first and then a G.I. Joe kid and then a Transformers kid. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to overemphasize any nostalgia that I might have had, but I do remember the show. I remember uh, some of the toys, but I cannot specifically remember any of the toys that I had. However, I can clearly remember the toys that I wanted and didn't have, like uh, Soundwave, for example, I mean, I wanted that so badly because you got to think at the time, like a portable cassette player was such amazing technology for us as kids. It was so cutting edge and that they they made this cartoon character robot out of it. And the little tapes turned into, you know, those little bird characters. It was amazing at the time. And I I remember wanting it so bad. And uh, same thing with Megatron. I mean, he turns into a gun. I remember thinking, wow, that's so like badass or whatever but I never had any of those toys I don't think the only ones I can remember having were the ones that turned into rocks <laughs> do, you, do you guys remember those at all I don't remember that no. one now. yeah I don't I don't know what they or no you know what I think I'm wrong I think those might have been he-man toys so those might not have even been transformers I think it was called Stone Dar I, I, I think it up it, now I remember that you might have had some lame ass gobot man no, it wasn't the GoBots. No, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was He-Man, Stonedar. I'm looking at it right now. Yep, yeah. I just Googled it. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I cannot tell you which Transformers I had. I know I had some because when I was young, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother who spoiled me rotten. As a matter of fact, most of my cartoon watching memories are at her house. 
with a can of root beer and some Cheetos or something. Like I just remember eating a lot of junk food and watching a lot of cartoons at her house and her spoiling me with all the toys. But like I said, they were mostly He-Man and G.I. Joe. It's a little strange. Like I wasn't a Transformers fanatic and uh, it took me a little bit of refreshing with the movie, which we'll talk about next as far as remembering the characters' names and everything. So, yeah, that, that's that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I'll say that I was really big into the cartoon. I loved the cartoon, but I didn't have a lot of Transformers. If I got a Transformer, it was typically for like a birthday or it was for Christmas. Because that was the other thing, you know, as far as toy lines were concerned, Transformers were what I would say pretty expensive back then, right? I don't remember oh, how much they... I don't even know, actually, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, comparatively to, like, an action figure, like a, you know, like a G.I. Joe or something like that, or even, like, a He-Man, because these things are more, like, made out of metal, so you're looking at anywhere from 10 to 25 bucks, you know, for, like, an average character, if I remember correctly, which at that time was pretty expensive, especially to buy, you know, for a kid quite often. I know some of the smaller ones, like, you know, the more plasticky ones like Bumblebee, Cliff Jumper, and some of those were a lot cheaper. But I think some of the bigger ones like Optimus Prime and, uh, you know, some of the, the more popular ones were quite expensive back then. Well, you bring up a good point is that like many shows of this era, they tended to be just commercials for an action figure line, which segues us very nicely into our next topic, which is Transformers the movie. And uh, we all agreed to watch the movie to basically fill this episode because unlike some previous game, like Vandal Hearts, Rich, you and I were like, how are we going to explain the story? It's incredibly <laughs> convoluted. Then we're looking at Transformers Devastation and saying, uh, we're going to need something else to talk about when we do this recording. <laughs> so <laughs> so we uh, agreed to kind of screen this movie, which was released in 1986. And as it turns out, as I mentioned, it, it is basically a commercial for a relaunch of the Transformers toy mm-hmm. line. But it is notable as a high value production with some real stellar pun intended uh, voice talent, including Orson Welles's final performance, I think. Yes. Uh, So it's a very strange movie, especially viewing it now. Um, Mm -hmm. It definitely falls into some categories of so bad. It's good. It's strange. It's noteworthy. So uh, rich, I guess I'll let you start here. You watched it with your son. so Today. Yeah. Yeah. So again, what are your memories of it? Did you see it back then? And what was it like watching with him today? I did. I saw it in the theater back when it came out. And uh, I got to tell you, it's a tough watch. My son, he's not really into Transformers or anything like that. And I tried to watch it with him a few years ago, he and my daughter, and they had nothing to do with it. They weren't excited about it or anything. However, my son's been playing Transformers Devastation with me, and he loves it. You know, he's six years old. He'll be seven in June. So you can imagine how cool something like fighting robots is to a child his age. Yeah. So we watched the movie together today, and he was much more interested in it this time around from when we tried a few years ago. And um, it's a tough watch in the sense that I actually looked at my Blu-ray player. Eight minutes in, you are seeing Autobots who you 
are so in love with in the first episode, like Ironhide and Ratchet, you see those guys just get obliterated. I mean, and like smoke billowing out of their mouths. I mean, just getting yeah. destroyed. That was something you never saw at the cartoon line. I mean, you know, there'd be like a lot of fighting and stuff. Someone might get hit with a blaster, but you would not see the end of a character. And for me, it being a young child, that was just so eye-opening and so just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe the feeling that I had. And some of the language in the film even is more adult. There's a few curse words in the film. Some words that I would even have to bleep out of this show. So <laughs> it's uh, it was an odd experience, but one I would say was really cool. It was a super, super cool movie. And spoiler alert, I guess... Optimus Prime's death, mm -hmm. one of the most gut-wrenching things that I ever had to deal with as a kid. It was horrible. I mean, that was like the most beloved Transformer of all time. His death got the ball rolling and actually probably destroyed the series. Now, let me ask you this. What was sadder for you as a kid? Optimus Prime dying in this movie or when Artex sinks into the swamp of sorrow in the never-ending story? <laughs> It's gotta be. It's great though. It, it's gotta be Prime's death. I mean, just to be, you know, that father figure hero. And uh, just yeah. a little trivia here, and, and being a GI Joe fan, as I'm sure the two of you were, Duke was actually supposed to die in GI Joe the movie, but because of the response to Optimus Prime's death in Transformers, they brought him back. He was actually supposed to die and, and be replaced in that film, but uh, and you want to talk about some weird films, we could go into G.I. Joe the movie at some point sometime. But yeah, just a, a little piece of trivia there. Nice. Well, Kevin, what about you? Did you see the... Were you able to see the movie when you were a kid? And how does it compare to seeing it nowadays? Yeah, I did see the movie when I was a kid. And actually, Transformers the movie was the first Transformers thing I've ever watched. Like I said, like other kids watched it and I could see the toys and all that. But my intelligence still went up to Channel 13 when that movie came out. I knew like Optimus Prime from the catalog, you know, like the Sears catalog and that. And I would look at the toys and they <laughs> yeah. looked so cool. And Optimus Prime just looked so cool. That whole trailer and everything, the little car and all that. And I'm like, I want that so bad. I don't even understand what Transformers is, but I really want that. That looks so awesome. So I was actually at a friend's house for a birthday party, and they said they were putting on Transformers the movie. I didn't even know there was a Transformers the movie. So we, we sat and watched it, and it blew my socks off. The Autobots dying at the beginning didn't really have any sort of effect on me because I really didn't know who they were or anything like that. I don't know. They were just fodder for the Decepticons, I thought. But towards the end, when Optimus Prime died, it was like, how could this even be? Like, I'm used to He-Man, you know? Like, everybody comes out good. And, like, everyone's fine at the end of the episode. This was, like, a major character. The guy who leads the Autobots, and he's dead. How are they even going to carry on? How is this series even going to carry on? I Like, I'm looking at this cartoon. I'm like, how's anyone going to watch this cartoon? with the? It was like a minivan that took over or something, you know? Like, <laughs> it, was, it was so bizarre. But, yeah, it stuck out in my head years after. Like, I hadn't. You know, I hadn't watched it until about 10 years ago. I, I rewatched it and then I rewatched it again for this. 
but uh, there was definitely scenes and moments that just stuck in my head, like Optimus Prime, like when he changes all gray and everything like that. Like that's traumatic, you know. It just it uh, it stuck with me all these years. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. They don't really make them like that anymore. And uh, I gotta wonder. Well, I'll give you my impressions first, and then I have a kind of a question for for you guys. Um, so I don't remember seeing this movie as a kid. I don't remember it being a, a hubbub or anything. I probably saw it somewhere along the line, but I don't remember reacting to characters dying or anything like that. Watching it nowadays, I just kind of felt that it was entertaining enough. Like I said, kind of so bad it's good. But the thing is, it's good. You know, like if you watch the featurette on the Blu-ray, there's a lot of interviews with the voice actors and they talk about the attention to detail that they put into the voice acting, which was really illuminating. And it makes you think about, you know, the performances that they gave in the movie. Also, another fun fact, the song Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al Yankovic is in this movie. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) And the first ever compact disc that I ever bought with my own money was the Weird Al Yankovic album, Dare to be Stupid, which is, in my humble opinion, one of his best albums. So that just was kind of funny when I heard that song come up in the movie. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe this song is in this movie. (laughs) Uh, I actually special ordered that album at Sam the Record Man when I was a kid. That blew me away. I went went there because I I was collecting all the Weird Al albums. Nobody had Dare to Be Stupid. And I went into this place called Sam the Record Man. Like, do you have Weird Al Dare to Be Stupid? They're like, no. Uh, but if you go over to that catalog over there and write down the number and bring it to me, I can order it for you. And that just blew my mind. I could write down <laughs> any number in this catalog and they will get this thing for me. Uh, so I did that. And uh, I still have that uh, cassette right behind me, actually, to this day. That's awesome. Very cool. That's the only thing that my daughter has asked for her birthday this year. Weird Al? Is for a Weird Al CD. Nice. Yeah, that's what she wants. I pre-ordered her the pop as well. Oh, yeah. So she'll be getting that. I got that too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't buy many pops, but... Uh, I don't yeah, either. But when it's uh, music related like that, yeah, I'll grab those. Oh, yeah. Well, so what do you guys think about this film? And I mean... Like I said, the production values are so high. It's such an oddity that they made this movie just to relaunch a toy line. And like Rich, you kind of alluded to, this was the beginning of the end for the Transformers. And it was probably yeah. not a great idea. You know what? We really need a The Toys That Made Us episode on the Transformers yeah. because yes, they did do. such a good treatment of G.I. Joe and He-Man. I would love to see a more in-depth history of what actually happened here with the Transformers. Like I said, there's some good featurettes on the Blu-ray. Definitely recommend checking those out. But um, yeah, what, what a strange thing. I mean, taking a serialized TV show that is basically a commercial for a toy line and making a movie about it. What a weird historical artifact. I don't know what else to say about it. I know that's kind of a random thought, but like what a weird time capsule it is, you know? Well, I think if you look at like the history and popularity of things like He-Man and Transformers and G.I. Joe, I feel like that was sort of a turning point like around 86 where you've got these toy lines who are just oversaturated with characters, Transformers and G.I. Joe being two of those. So you almost have to step up at that point and do a movie to try to salvage and to continue making these toys. So I think the people that did Transformers were thinking, okay, 
Optimus Prime. That's one of the original toys. A lot of these characters who are going to die in this movie, they're some of the original toys. We need to kind of kill those off and just rebuild this series. And um, I think it turned around and it kind of kicked them in the teeth. But it was sort of that, I don't want to say last ditch effort, but... I feel like, you know, at that point, sales had started to go down. People were moving on to other things. These things had been out for so long. G.I. Joe, I mean, that started in, uh, you know, the the small action figure G.I. Joes. Specifically talking about the sort of the height of that toy line was from 82 to around 87. And that's right when the movie came out. And again, another movie with the purpose of relaunching, you know, new figures and new toys. The same sort of purpose. And you got sort of the same results. You started getting these like neon colored action figures and crazy toys that weren't the customary toys that you were getting originally in the line. Just from watching the toys that made us, there were so many things that, um, especially with He-Man, you know, the stories that they're telling, uh, how they came up with the concept and everything, where they were just... You know, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, especially that one guy. I don't. Did you guys see the He-Man episode? Yeah, I just watched some of it today, actually, which is kind of funny. We're talking about this. They would have like groups of kids and bring them in, and say like, "What do you want? A space right, person?" Right, exactly. And- or even the one guy going into the meetings to the distributors. You know, who's going to be selling these toys? And he's like, they're <laughs> yes. like, "Okay, well, how are you going to sell this to kids?" And he's like, "Oh, every uh, character is going to come with a comic book," and they didn't even have a comic book made. And then the next one's like, you're selling this to five-year-olds. How are they going to read this comic book? Oh, it'll tie into the to the animated movie, right? And there was no movie, <laughs> which later became a series. So it would be interesting to know if that sort of thing, maybe that's how this Transformers movie came about to be, where it's just like they were just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what works. And I don't know, were Transformers sales slipping a little bit? Maybe this was an attempt to just reboot the franchise, get rid of the old characters, bring in some new characters. Well, hopefully they make that episode of The Toys That Made Us, which, for those who don't know, is a kind of a cool, fun documentary series on Netflix that's running right now. And uh, there are four episodes at the time of this recording, but I guess there's going to be four more at least. So we'll see. Um, My money's on uh, Transformers and Thundercats, but we'll see what they come out with. My Little Pony, too. Yeah, that would be it. Yes, absolutely. Care. A few pound puppies would be great for me, too. Yeah. Yep. Cabbage Pale Kids. Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of... <laughs> did I just say Cabbage Pale? You mixed cabbage them together. Pale. You did. It, yeah, it worked, though. That... So. That'd be a good episode. I thought it was on purpose. So that was Actually, good. No, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, cabbage Patch Kids, of course, I meant to say. Not to be confused with the Garbage Pale Kids, which were those funny stickers we all put on our skateboards when we were kids. Well, I don't know if, if it had the same effect on you guys, but on me as a kid, this attempt to reboot the franchise, like I hated Rodimus Prime. Like that was the guy who the, they replaced Optimus Prime to. And I don't know if that was out of some sort of loyalty to Optimus Prime or the fact that Rodimus Prime, I'm sorry, he looked like a minivan. He looked like a Dodge Caravan. Optimus Prime looked like a fun toy. It was this big semi truck with a bunch of stuff that looks way more fun than a Dodge Caravan to me. And I think they were sort of running out of ideas, too, as far as, like, what kind of vehicles to use, you know? I mean, they had pretty much used up the cool vehicles that were out there, yeah, you know, when you're looking at, like, construction vehicles, when you're looking at, like, luxury vehicles, like Sideswipe being the Lamborghini, I mean, and then Jazz being the Porsche. And they started getting into more gimmicky toys, you know, and these just kind of oddball things that they would transform into, which is sort of defeated the whole purpose of the Autobots and the Decepticons' 
blending in on Earth. Mm. It got kind of yeah. odd. And they um, they were getting backlash, too, for Megatron already. Uh, you know, Megatron turning into a gun and kids playing with guns and blah, blah, blah. I remember they, they changed them to like an um, anti-aircraft gun or something, right? Yeah, that was not a good idea. <laughs> you know, Megatron looked so cool, and they turned him into this weird thing. Plus, as a kid like me who didn't have these toys and that, now I'm watching this film and everything, and now I'm getting into the cartoon, I've kind of felt left behind. Like, they were moving on, and I'm like, I I would love to have, like, Soundwave. He looks so cool, but you couldn't get him anymore. They weren't making him. that we can start talking about the game now that we've kind of covered all our histories we talked about the movie and what they tried to do with this game obviously was to cash in on that nostalgia for the generation one characters no reboot characters here just the good old optimus prime and uh megatron and all of them g1 as the kids g1 baby g1 so yeah, like I said, this game was released in 2015, and I'll elaborate just a little bit on the Platinum Games streakiness that I was talking about, and what I meant by that was this game was released in 2015 in between The Legend of Korra and Star Fox Zero and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that Platinum made. Now I'm going to be completely honest, I haven't played Legend of Korra, Star Fox Zero, or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. But I know they were not well received. Having said that, after that, Near Automata came out, which we've discussed a little bit here. And Bayonetta 3 is the next game that they're coming out with. So hopefully they're getting back in their stride. But like Kevin kind of added on to, they're known for these awesome like technical hack and slash games like Bayonetta, A Vanquish, and Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. So we got a Transformers game from them. And if you've played Bayonetta, you kind of know what to expect. In fact, there were so many comparisons to Bayonetta in the various sources that I've read about this game, as well as our forum. 
Metal Fro said, as with a lot of other platinum action games, it has combat that's probably deeper than what I'm exploring so far, but works reasonably well as a button masher also. It's weird using what is effectively witch time in this game, but it doesn't feel as natural or as refined as that of Bayonetta 1 or 2. So they called it witch time in Bayonetta. It's called focus time in this game. Uh, And that's basically where you... Hack and slash, and if you dodge at the right instant, you get kind of a slow motion opportunity to whip some ass. Man, I don't know, like, where do we begin with a game that's just kind of a brawler, hack and slashy, beat em up game? You know what? I'm going to start with Rich. Rich, we've had different results when we have you play modern games, especially 3D games, <laughs> over the shoulder games. So what did you think about this one? Uh, There are some similarities here in the combat to something like, say, Enslaved, that Mm over-the-shoulder 3D camera with the little button-mashy beat-em-up combo action. So what was your impressions of the gameplay here? Uh, I haven't played a lot of modern hack-and-slash games. Uh, You did mention Enslaved, and that would be the one that I could compare it mostly to. I did feel like in this game, it was a lot more repetitive. I felt that most of the stuff I was doing seemed to be the same attacks, which was basically getting into a combo of about five and then hitting R1 to do this special vehicle attack was my main play throughout the game. I didn't feel like there was a lot of variety in this, though with Enslaved, I felt like there was a little more or at least for me, the combat felt a little more natural. I think they try to mix it up a little bit with the gameplay as far as some of your enemies having shields that you have to break through at like a high speed as your vehicle and kind of punch through that or, you know, do some of your more specialized moves. And quite honestly, I didn't even know like until the end of the game that you can even upgrade your abilities and get new abilities. And probably that's my fault for not, you know, reading the manual or for going through the menu system enough like I should have. But I don't know. I didn't feel like this game was very intuitive. I didn't feel like it really guided you enough through some of the menus, through some of the options and abilities that you could have in this game. And maybe that's something we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay, Kevin, what about you? And you obviously uh, you have a little bit more knowledge about platinum games, and I'd love to hear how you feel this game compared to the other titles that they developed. And I'm extra curious if you've played the games that I mentioned before, that being The Legend of Korra and the Ninja Turtles game. Uh, I did play Legend of Korra. This game pales in comparison to their earlier work, like Bayonetta, and um, even, um, uh, what's that black and white one on the Wii? Um, oh, Mad World. Mad World. Um, it's okay. It's serviceable. It's not as deep I noticed a lot of um, environments were repeated over and over again. You were running, you were, you know, in mm-hmm. the same spots over. So that probably plays a lot into the repetition. And yes, you are doing the same thing over and over again. I find in a Bayonetta game, part of the appeal uh, of playing the game is you get to unlock more moves and incorporate those moves into a combo or unlock more weapons and abilities and to incorporate them. It keeps it fresh. It keeps it moving. This game, it's only about five hours long, and it really rewards you more for just sticking with one thing and doing the same thing over and over again. 
because you are putting your points like I I only played with Optimus Prime throughout the entire game. I didn't really want to move on to another character because I felt if I did, you know, I've been building up Optimus Prime all this time. And even the weapon that I was using, I just stuck with that one weapon because if I moved on to something else, I would have to start from scratch. At times, it felt a little boss rushy, you know, where you're stuck fighting against all these bosses and that. And I can't, like, I'm not fighting against enough, like, just trash enemies, you know, to build up points to work towards a new weapon or anything. So a lot of that depth and everything that's usually in a Bayonetta game, it's just not here. And I don't know if it's because Platinum had the B team working on it or they were just hired to do this thing. So they just kind of phoned it in a little bit. And just, there you go, you you hired us for this, we're going to take the money you gave us for making this Transformers game, and we're going to put it towards, you know, Bayonetta 3 or whatever. So, yeah, not as good. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm definitely pretty much on the same page as you. I think what really saves this game, I mean, is that it is technically competent. I mean, there's no... There's nothing wrong with it. I read some complaints about the camera, but I really didn't have a problem with the camera. But as far as, you know, all the things you want in a good hack and slash technical brawler, uh, hit detection and rhythm and all all those other things, it's fine. And I think that it banks more on the nostalgia and the novelty of having a game that's based on Gen 1 Transformers that looks like the cartoon that kind of carries it. So we're looking at a game that, okay, it's repetitive and, you know, it's not as technical, it's not as deep, but you get to play as Optimus Prime, you get to fight Soundwave, you know, there's a lot of authentic voice actors, you know, the presentation is very good. So I felt that like, man, I wish I had this game when I was a kid. This is really cool. But I didn't, you know, that feeling didn't last by like three hours into the game. I was like, all right. When is this over? You know, I'm in the same sewer again. Like, let's get on with this. So uh, how much did the nostalgia sustain you guys, I guess, is the question I'm asking. Yeah, it didn't hold out very long for me. I had a good time with the game. And I think one of the problems with it, for me, and it kind of drug out, was this game's broken down into seven chapters. And some of these have multiple missions. The first chapter has like 17 missions. And I don't know why they didn't break it up a little cleaner, but it seemed to me that the other chapters were much quicker. So I knew going into this game, because, you know, we kind of have to plan these things out for the playthrough, that it was going to be seven chapters long. And for this first chapter to be so arduous and so lengthy, I was kind of like, I don't know if I really want to finish this game. And it took me a while to come back to it. I actually had a day at home and um, was able to finish it. So, I don't know. I think, for me, it got so repetitive in that first chapter taking so long that the nostalgia wore off for me fairly quickly. But, at the same time, a part of it still stuck with me throughout the game because I was getting to fight new enemies. Like, the first chapter is mainly a a fight against Devastator, and then, you know, for some of the other chapters... You get to fight like Starscream, some of the other jets, and uh, Blitzkrieg, and that's pretty cool. I mean, these are the characters, of course, that that I grew up on. So the nostalgia factor I felt like was still there. Plus, you actually have to earn Wheeljack and Grimlock. So I knew that those characters are in the game, so I wanted to keep playing a little bit further to get them, which was, 
you know, I think Kevin mentioned, it's kind of annoying because you, you want to try to build up one character and you're getting new characters. So you kind of have to start all over if you're going to use those characters. So, uh, yeah, frustrating in some points, but um, I think the nostalgia stayed with me probably throughout the game. And um, for me, it had a lot to do with the story, which was very Transformers-like. Oh, yeah, for sure. It felt like you were playing an episode of the show. Just the look of, of everything, it, it not only worked for this game, but it made me say... Where's the He-Man game like this? You know, where's the mask <laughs> yeah, game yeah, like yeah. this? Like, gameplay aside, just the look, sounds, everything. It was like, yeah, you were just you were reenacting something from the '80s. That was really fun. It was like one of those weekly five-part episodes, yeah, right? Because of the totally. length, <laughs> you felt like you were a part of that, and that was pretty cool. I gotta ask you, Rich. You had to have played this on easy if you were able to get through the game without upgrading the weapon, or you're an amazing player, one or the other. Now, I did figure out the weapon synthesizing. I did figure out how to do the tech upgrading, okay. but I did not figure out how to do the abilities. Or the stat increases. Oh, okay. Until the end. Oh, of the okay. Game. So you were okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was switching weapons and, and synthesizing my weapons and stuff, but I did play it on easy. I mean, I, you <laughs> okay. know, I freely freely admit that okay. I did. Yeah, with this one, I just wanted to kind of get through it. I normally play games on the normal setting, but with everything that was going on through the month, I just wanted to just kind of knock this one out as quick as I could. So fair uh, enough. It's it's so yeah, it's a tough game. And uh, I played all the chapters on normal. Uh-huh. And then when I got to Megatron, I said, screw this. I'm just, <laughs> I just went back and I pl- I replayed that entire <laughs> chapter on easy. Breezed through it, by the way. And I think the game is designed for you to play it over and over again, which is kind of a shame because it is so repetitive. You know, one playthrough almost uh-huh. seems like enough. Like play through it again as Bumblebee. Play through it again as... so. You know, you build up Optimus Prime, and I'm pretty sure you can carry that over onto another playthrough, everything that you built up Optimus Prime with, and then try it on harder levels. Um, But to do it on the first playthrough, it just seemed like it was a little too much, or you would have to grind at some point or something. Yeah, I mean, I wanted the most direct route to finishing this game. I struggled so much with modern, like, hack-and-slash games, especially with Enslaved, that, you know, it was a no-brainer for me, like, yep, easy, let's do Mm -hmm. this. But you're right, you can play through it again and keep the same weapons and stuff that you had before, which my six-year-old's playing through it now with Optimus Prime with all the weapon upgrades <laughs> that I have with him. And so, you know, he's just crushing through it, you know, on easy. But you know what? That's good for oh, him, yeah. you know, because if not, he would be so frustrated. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Rich, you bring up some good points about the chapter length because some of the later chapters out of seven go by in about 10 minutes. And I found that to be really strange. And I wonder if they were, you know, running out of time uh, or money or whatever. It didn't feel rushed from a story standpoint, but it's like what you were saying, the first chapter is pretty lengthy. And then chapter like five and six, I think I did like four, five and six in one sitting because they were so short. So very oddly paced, uh, let's say. I did say. two through seven in one sit. Wow, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was just so quick. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I hadn't planned to, but I was like, what? I'm already done with that chapter? Yeah. What? I'm already done with another one? Let's just finish it today. Well, as, as we said, if you're playing it on easy, uh, it is a just like a four or five hour game. If you're not yeah. trying to challenge yourself, banging your head against the wall or whatever, some of our 
some of our members did that. Josh Metalfro, uh, he must have been yep. playing on a harder difficulty because he was mentioning getting stuck in a lot of places, which is that's cool. If that's what you want to do, go for it. I just wanted nice, easy, breezy playthrough after the intensity of Vandal Hearts and how deep of a game that was and how entrenched we were in it. Uh, so from a certain standpoint, I'm not complaining about the kind of breezy nature of this Transformers game, but it, it's definitely worth noting. Yeah, I just wanted some fun. I mean, I wanted it to yeah. kind of match up with going back and being a kid. You know, I just wanted it to be fun and, you know, just kind of breeze through it. And, you know, that was the reason for my decision. <laughs> Other than just being busy as hell <laughs> recently. so Yeah. And I just want to tack on, I, I also played the game mostly as Optimus Prime, but I did mess around with some of the other characters. And we should also mention, too, that there is a shooting aspect in this game where you can pull out Optimus Prime's cannon or there's other characters who have projectile weapons. I want to ask you guys if you made use of that. Uh, sometimes you kind of have to because there's flying enemies. But I also will just say my commentary on that, which is that the ammo seemed to run out way too quick. And then when oh, you yeah. ran out, you'd be running around trying to find ammo or you would just see if you could jump high enough to clip one of these guys and take <laughs> them down rather than shooting at them. What did you guys make of that aspect of the game? Was it tacked on or did you find it to be useful? I would say tacked on. I think it's a leftover from like a game like Bayonetta or Devil May Cry. They're designed okay. to like if the character moves too far away from you, at least you can like shoot them and keep your combo going. That's what they're kind of there for. Like, you know, Bayonetta has those guns in her boots and that. And it's just so you can keep your, your combo going. And But there really wasn't anything like that in this game. Like... I guess you could get a, a few more points, like if you if you didn't get hit, or if you got like an SS rating or whatever at the end of the games, so or at the end of your battle or whatever. So that's what it's designed for. That makes sense. But like, I you don't really need to get into that in this game. Like, it's just really not worth it for you. You know. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a shame too, because with the cartoon series, at least there's a lot of gunfire, more so than melee in a Transformers episode, if you watch the cartoons. So I did feel like there should have probably been more shooting and maybe that was just a bit tacked on. And the other thing was, is there's these like driving scenes. There's another scene where you're on a platform that's moving and you grab a cannon and you're shooting things out of the air, like these Insecticons. Do you guys remember mm -hmm. that part? Yeah. Those were kind of unique scenes, and I, I kind of wish we'd have seen a little more of that to give the game a lot more variety. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, mention those. Did you guys have, like, a set move that you kind of stuck to as well? Like, I pretty much spammed the turn into a car, do a couple of revs, yeah. and then you do that power punch coming out of it. And uh, usually that would give you enough to automatically do uh, a car attack or whatever, or maybe maybe you had to give them another SWAT or whatever. And I pretty much stuck to that strategy throughout the entire game. I didn't have too many problems, except for Starscream. Starscream was the only one that gave me some problems. Um, but pretty much the whole game really didn't uh, get that difficult, other than Megatron at the end. Yeah, I was kind of doing the same thing, I think. Well... You have to do that kind of drive up and uppercut thing if the enemy has a shield. Yeah. Beyond that, you can, oh man, you can really like kind of just spam the square button. I played on the PlayStation console, so you can spam the square button, try to dodge, get that focus time. I mean, 
I got to say, I kind of just kind of drifted in between playing the game with one hand almost. And then, oh, let me try and like do this right. You know what I mean? So again, I'm playing the game on easy so I could just screw around and mash a square button, occasionally hitting the triangle <laughs> button. Or, you know, at times, again, I was like trying to time that dodge just right and trying to time that R1 vehicle attack just right. Again, I'm not high on the technical end of these games as much as I like them, like with Bayonetta. I'll learn like two or three combos and then lean on those for the entire game. I'm not, that's just like where I am in these kinds of games. As much as I love them, I guess I'm like lazy about it, you could say. But again, not as much depth here as with some of those other titles. So Rich, how about you? Were you, were you playing on a, on a high technical level or were you just mashing away? Uh, you know, I was mashing away. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you know, like Kevin said, I mean, you just kind of get stuck in these ruts. And for me, it's just like hit, um, you know, square four or five times, hit the vehicle and just do that combo over and over again. And I guess, you know, playing it on easy, it kind of lends itself to that because there's not a lot of blocking that's going on. And the only time you really need to use focus is when you're fighting bosses or mini bosses, as you see quite a bit in this game. I think one of the issues with the game is that you don't just earn new abilities, but that you have to purchase these new abilities. You get all these credits in the game, and you just don't really know what to do with them. Should I build more tech? Should I buy more abilities? Should I synthesize more weapons? Should I increase my stats? Because those credits are used for all of that stuff. It's really kind of hard to figure out how to best balance your character. I just wish abilities would give in well, to Well, it's designed so you can customize, customize yeah, to, to your gameplay style, right? If you want to run up to guys and slash away at them, then it makes sense for you to put more money into your melee weapon, right? If you want to hang back and you want to rely on your shooting guns, you know, you can upgrade those as well. If you're struggling dodging, maybe get an ability and try to get something that will increase this, you know, the length of your focus, if you want. So it's there for customization, I guess. So you can do whatever you want with it. It was frustrating not having stuff to actually buy and actually having to rely on that stupid little mini game for that guy to build something for you. And half the time it was like, oh, this is a piece of crap. Oh, great. I just wasted 5000 on thing, you know? Like, just give me something <laughs> yeah. good. I ended up getting pretty good at that game, finally. I, I never did. <laughs> yeah. I never did. <laughs> But it was crappy. Um, yeah. But let me, uh, yeah. on on normal, I found I could not just mash the buttons. If I ran up to them and uh, tried to just like hack and slash my way through, the game would adjust. The Decepticons would alter their their attacks, and sometimes they would actually like they would start doing combos on you, and you'd be stuck and you wouldn't be able to move. So that's why mm -hmm. I stuck to that uppercut thing because. If I tried to just run up to them and just mash on the buttons, it wasn't going. And even like trying to dodge and then, you know, try to do a couple of moves, I could only get like one or two hits in and then they would be out of it and already attacking me. So, yeah, so it's a little bit different on normal for sure. All right, cool. Well, I'm glad we were able to kind of talk about the um, RPG elements, so to speak. And just to round out the gameplay discussion, I want to note that there are these wind tunnel things that are used kind of as a way to force you to transform into a vehicle. And there are these like tracks that you have to drive on. There's a couple chase sequences 
that can actually be a tad confusing, but I do like that they incorporate it into a game like this where you transform into vehicles some like speed segments of actual driving as limited as they were. And again, to get through these wind tunnels that are blowing through the streets, you have to drive into them. So just kind of a way to force you to transform into the vehicle and drive. So, I mean, that's all I have to say about the gameplay, uh, unless you guys have anything else. We could talk a little bit about the story. Honestly, there's not much to it. Megatron is trying to cyberform the Earth to take it over and have it be habitable by the Transformers. And you play as Optimus Prime and the uh, Autobots to prevent this from happening. Now, you, <laughs> Rich, you put this in the notes. The Proud Stars Voyage and Nova Prime were corrupted by Unicron. Dude, what is that? Please refresh my memory because that's just a bunch of words to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think it establishes an important part of the story. And it's what I like about this. It gives it some placement on the timeline because okay. we know that this is before the movie, right? I mean, obviously Prime's in this, so we know. But in the cartoon series, they actually struggled so much that they had to bring Prime mm. back. So we're given this piece of the timeline, and what's happened is Nova Prime, who was, I think, the Autobot in charge before Optimus Prime, has gone on this voyage in the Proud Star. Optimus, I don't think, knew that the Proud Star had crashed into Earth, and it was beneath the surface, and that's what Megatron has found. And the whole mission of Nova Prime basically was to find a planet to cyberform to turn into another Cybertron with no intention originally for destroying a race, um, you know, such as the human race. But it seems that he was corrupted at some point, I don't know if it was physically or subliminally, by Unicron, who if you watch the movie, you, you see where Unicron does have this effect on people. And so I think that that's a pretty cool element to this game to have this sort of prequel to Transformers the movie, you know, this exceeds what a normal Transformers 30-minute episode would be, but um, I think the story for this game is probably one of the stronger points of it because of that and kind of where it falls on that timeline, and I felt like it really fits. I mean, it, it really made sense to me, and, you know, spoiler, I mean, we're going to talk about the ending. There's nothing much to spoil, but... At the end of it, you get this little cutscene where you see Nova Prime down deep in the Proud Star, and his eyes just kind of light up and flash that evil red color from that gentle kind of Autobot blue that usually glows in their eyes. So I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know. Maybe a sequel? We'll see. Wow. That went all over my head when I played the game. I didn't notice any of that. Yeah, <laughs> same here. That's why I kicked it over to him. <laughs> uh, I'm happy that I could nerd that up for you. No, I, I love the story. I, I thought it was really cool and probably maybe in the end what made me kind of more appreciate this game. Yeah, I mean... We've touched on a lot of stuff here kind of naturally rather than going over the outline in order. So one of the things we haven't really talked about is the sound and the voice acting. And again, I'll kick it back to you, Rich, because you, you added this to the notes. So I'm going to guess that you have something you want to say here. They did get 
a lot of the original voice actors into this game, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and I thought they did a really, really good job with the voice acting in this game. Anyone who is familiar with the cartoon obviously is going to recognize these very familiar voices, and kudos for them for not mailing it in, you know, just going and getting whatever voice actors they could find. So I think it's a real tribute to the fans for doing that. But I got to say that um, not having that Chris Latta voice as Starscream, it was pretty devastating to me. Starscream's probably my favorite Transformer. I always love Starscream just because he's just, you know, always against Megatron. He plays that sort of foil on the enemy side that's always, you know, trying to take over. He's just so arrogant and uh, I always love the voice too. It's the same voice that, uh, you know, does Cobra Commander in G.I. Joe. It's the same voice that does Decompose if you've ever watched the cartoon Inhumanoids. He just appears in, in a lot of 80s cartoons. He's in Visionaries too and I can't think of the character he does, but but uh, it's just such a prominent and well-recognized voice that it not being there was just, it was really sad to me as a fan. And um, it's something that I felt like was really missing. I felt like they could have at least gotten somebody who could have done that same voice uh, to a T. But uh, it's a good effort, but it didn't do it for me. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just me being just way too nerdy and way too picky. No, I, I think didn't even notice. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice it was. Some, I thought it was the same guy. Because your TV didn't go past thirteen, yeah. of course. No, <laughs> yeah, the voice acting for me was kind of a thing where I'm not demanding the same kind of authenticity that you probably would be. You know what I mean? Based on what we were talking about, as far as our nostalgia. Again, I'm yeah. I'm very interested in voice acting in animation, especially anime, of course. But um, when I was playing the game, I thought it was fine. You know what I mean? But I, I appreciate you kind of elaborating on it there. Um, we're pushing three hours here. So I think we, sh- we can go ahead and start wrapping it up. I feel like we've kind of hit all the, the major points of the gameplay and the, the look and feel of the game. So let's talk about some final thoughts here. I guess I'll just start because this was a weird game to play because I felt like we were on this hot streak this year. And we talked about in our last episode, having started off the year so strongly with Oxenfree, then rolling into Vandal Hearts, which was a completely different game, but uh, just a top notch, high quality JRPG uh, tactical game. And uh, should listen to our episode last month if you haven't. And... To roll into this game, again, it was a good, like, kind of a palate cleanser game after Vandal Hearts, you know, and I didn't hate it, but I think I felt the same way as a lot of our forum members did, and uh, as you guys did, is that, you know, it's definitely a platinum game, but it's not their best work, let's say, but it's just a totally competent, fine game, but it's hard to recommend when there's things out there like Bayonetta and Vanquish and Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. And I think this game is for one of two types of people. If you can't get enough of G1 Transformers or you can't get enough of Platinum Games and you're like a Platinum Games completionist. Having said that, you won't have a bad time with this game, I don't think. But it's nothing that's going to set the world on fire. So... I, you know, that's kind of just my lukewarm uh, final thoughts on the game. 
So I don't know. What do you guys think, Kevin? What what was your final impression of the game, especially again versus other platinum titles and just with the the property itself? I'm in the same boat as you. I would highly recommend you know playing those other games uh, before this one, especially since this one seems like it's going to be very hard to get soon because it's discontinued. You can't download it anymore. And uh, they're not pressing any more physical copies because the licenses run out. So this will be a highly collectible game at some point. But, I mean, if you're a fan of Transformers, I would be satisfied with this game. This game probably delivered everything I would want as a fan. Uh, It's got the story. The look is fantastic. All the voice actors, except for Starscream, apparently are there. But to me, like Peter Cullen, that's Optimus. And Frank Welker, that is Megatron. They do an amazing job. They don't sound like old men, even though they are, you know, 30 years older now. And, you know, on that level, I would be happy with it. Even though the gameplay is a little monotonous, you know, it's not bad. It's okay. It's a good game. It's just not, for how this game looks and how it sounds, it should be great. And it's just not great. I wonder if it wasn't tied into any sort of license, if it would be a game I could recommend, you know, if it was just some sort of generic thing. But it's not. It's Transformers. And uh, it brings up a lot of nostalgia like they wanted to. So, yeah, I would recommend it. But, it, you know, it's it's a good time, just not a great time. Very well said. So we'll kick it over to Rich. If you want to give us our final thoughts, Rich, and then you can roll us right into next month's playthrough if you'd like. Sure. I think for me, being such a big fan of the cartoon really helped me appreciate this game more from the standpoint of graphics, the characters, the story, these all things that I felt that the game did really strongly. It's hard to say that a game didn't have really good gameplay, but still recommend it. Because gameplay is such a strong element to any game, and most people would rank it as the number one thing that they would choose to have to be best about a game. But for me... Even though the gameplay is not the best, I think this is one that if you're a fan of Generation 1 Transformers, you got to play it. Getting to be those characters, this is the game eight, nine-year-old me would have just crapped their pants to have. I mean, this is so good in terms of nostalgia and what I probably always wanted as a kid. Having said that, it's really interesting from my perspective and that I have a kid who's interested in this type of stuff. Playing this with my son and having him watch me play the game and then me handing the controller to him to let him play the game, watching the movie together today, just sort of doing all that made this a really special playthrough for me, even though, again, not a game that would be high on my list from what we've already played this year. But uh, if you've got any sort of nostalgia for the original Transformers, I would say this is a game that you need to pick up. But... uh, As far as things I think they could have added or taken away to make the game better, there was like one flip transition in the game where like in the show, you know, you've got that Autobot symbol and it flips over to the Decepticon symbol. I think they could have probably used that more and I would have liked to seen more Autobots, but I understand why they couldn't do more because that would be so much more work on a game. And I think that five was good, but I would have liked to seen one of the combiner Autobots. And, and maybe being able to fight against some of the Decepticon combiners, I think that might have made the game a lot cooler. But, you know, overall, again, a fun game, and one that I would say, eh, it'd be worth your time to pick up if you could get it cheap enough. 
All right, so this April, we're going to be heading back to the Nintendo 64. We've only played one game on this console, which was Mischief Makers, and that's been many years ago. And Sean and I have always talked about heading back to the system to give it another go. Sean's got his new controller, so he's all set. We're going to be playing a title that's a little on the pricey end, but there are other ways that you can play this game. So we thought we'd go ahead and give it a shot before Sean decides to sell his N64 copy. And that is Conker's Bad Fur Day. This game is also available on Rare Replay, which is on the Xbox One. And it's available as Conker's Reloaded on the original Xbox. It's a action platformer, a little bit of a puzzle game. Should be a fun time in April of this year. So please join us. Very cool. And once again, we'd like to thank everyone who played our game with us this month. And we want to thank Kevin, a.k.a. Buried on Mars, for joining the show this month. Uh, Kevin, please refresh everybody's memory. Where can people find you on the Internet and enjoy your amazing content? Well, thank you guys for having me on once again. Uh, this was a blast. Had lots of fun talking about Transformers. And if you want to find me, just type in Retro Fandango into uh, Google, and uh, you'll find my podcast there that I do with uh, Richard, a.k.a. Rambox, every week. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Buried underscore on underscore Mars. Yes, someone out there actually took at Buried on Mars and does nothing with the account, so I'm stuck with the underscores. But yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's lots of fun. Oh yeah, man. Enjoyed it. You got the touch. You got the power. the show thanks for listening and for participating in the playthrough special thanks to kevin for returning to the show be sure to check out buried on mars on youtube as well as the retro fandango podcast in april we're gonna hang out with a raunchy little squirrel who goes by the name of conquer as rich hosts a playthrough of one of the oddest titles in the nintendo 64 library the m-rated conquer's bad fur day 
Of course, the Xbox remake and rare replay versions are fair game as well. Log on to rfgeneration.com to participate. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast. blah, blah, blah.